This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. You know, I'm one of these guys that uh, I'm always my own toughest critic, right? And uh, I think Mark Levin once told me a piece of advice that uh, Rush Limbaugh once gave him, which is that your good shows are never as good as you think they are, and your bad shows are never as bad as you think they are. But after every show, I always think what could have been different, what I could have done differently, what could have been produced differently. I'm always kind of second-guessing the four hours that just preceded me. However, I will say... That the shows that we did following the Super Bowl, I thought were among the the most unique in all of radio. I don't think you could have uh, turned to any radio station or on in any format, by the way, in the country and heard a show like the ones we did after the Super Bowl. And it was really a great compliment that I heard from a number of listeners that said they don't even care about football, but they were very interested in the shows that uh, that we did following the Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl is one of those things where it's supposed to be fun. It's a fun event where everybody puts aside things like partisan bickering and we sit and watch a football game and the music surrounding the football game and the ads in the football game. And a lot of people did watch. This was the most watched television event in American history. More people watched this This is not hyperbole, not an exaggeration. More people watched this than watched the moon landing. The moon landing. Well, A lot of the fun and frivolity of the Super Bowl was short-lived because at the victory parade in Kansas City, there was a shooting. And we're just now getting some of the details about who's responsible and why this occurred. A guy that has been following the story from the beginning, and he's the first person that brought it to our attention, is veteran broadcast journalist uh, Dominic Carter. Dominic, initially uh, when we heard news of this shooting, you were speculating that it might have been gang-related. Uh, what do we know about what, who was responsible and why at this point? Well, when I said gang-related, I meant possibly a gang or a personal dispute among parties. And sure enough, that's what it turned out to be. It was not terrorism-related, according to authorities. So we have a 23-year-old by the name of Lindell Mays, who's been charged with second-degree murder, along with Dominic Miller, 18 years old. Now, think about that. Mm. 23 and 18. They happen to be African-American. And the thing that has me enraged, Frank, is what this 23-year-old said. He's apparently, based on authorities, the one that opened fire uh, first, Now, apparently, Mr. Lindell Mays told the police, you know, I I was just being stupid. I was just being stupid. That's why I pulled out a gun. And that's why all of this opened fire. And that's why a mother that was beloved in the community is dead. And a radio person, by the way. I know know we're not supposed to get more upset when people of our profession are murdered as opposed to anybody else. But there is something uh, that makes it a little bit more real to me. 
And uh, he confirms that Mr. Mays, that he drew his gun first and says he started shooting all because they said, I'm going to get you. And to him, that meant I'm going to kill you. So all of this street lingo or whatever term you want to use, street terms, and there's just no need for this. And then if that's not insulting enough, the mother nominate her for mother, Mr. May's mother, nominate her for mother of the year. She starts a GoFundMe page for this clown and uh, it raised a hundred dollars and then they shut it down. Yeah, I'd love to know who gave the hundred dollars. I don't mean to laugh. Do we know at this point, because I know um, Missouri doesn't necessarily have the strictest gun laws. Do we know whether the guns that, uh, that these young men were carrying were legal guns or illegal guns? Because when we were speculating about this, people were calling in, people were offering different solutions. I'd say five of the six top solutions were uh, crack down on people who commit a crime with an illegal gun and, you know, essentially lock them up, you know, mandatory minimum of however many years. Authorities are still investigating, so Mm -hmm. everything is preliminary. But we, society-wise, we've got to find a way to deal with this issue, to be blunt, of black men committing crimes especially uh, gun crimes. Crime is done by every community. But it seems like, and I I believe uh, 51% of murders, I believe, I'm looking for the exact figure now, but 51% of murders are committed, I believe, by black males. And we've got to find a way. No one, no one, no one is allowed. um, And and at the same time, 51% of all murder victims are black, right? So, so in your view, is this a cultural thing? Is it a socioeconomic thing? Is it a byproduct of some of the other issues that you've covered regarding black fatherlessness? Or is it a combination of those things, or is it something else entirely? Black fa- fathers not being in the household, uh, communities where things that are bad are seen as good. and so, mm-hmm. so in other words, uh, if you're a stick-up kid robbing people, in certain elements of the community, please, if you're going to quote me, get the quote right. In certain elements of the community, that's considered a good thing. You go off to college, you're considered a nerd. We've got, and I'm serious when I say no, no, this. I, I understand. And and we've got to we've got to change this. And part of this is the rap culture. I'm not blaming rap on all of this, but but how delusional is the mother? To think that your son, your son just lit up the Super Bowl parade, all of these kids shot, and you're so out of your mind, you think somebody's going to give your son a dime. I, I mean, I am amazed that uh, she thought that this would be a worthy use of her time. And I, I just wonder, and again, you know, good parents can have children that do bad things. So I don't know what degree of parenting uh, this woman did, but I, I wonder how active she was in her son's life uh, that he was at a parade uh, carrying a weapon and prepared to mix it up with anybody and I wonder if her time might have been better spent being a little bit more involved clearly it's a money grab I mean to be to be real ma'am uh, you, you don't have any medical bills for your son uh, your son's medical bills will be paid by the state for the next 40 years right, so right, right. so you, you don't have any medical bills you know based on what you just said right um fatherlessness and the other factors the coolness factor of uh getting involved in illicit activities and that being perceived in certain elements of the black community as 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 cool 
How did you manage to not follow that example? You grew up in a neighborhood where I'm sure a lot of these things applied. You didn't have a father. Yes. And you still managed to uh, go out and get a master's degree and put together a, a really incredible career as a broadcast journalist. What clicked in your head, and how do you get that clicking in the minds of a lot of other young black men so that they don't engage in this kind of behavior? It's funny, Frank, and I'm so glad you asked that question so i didn't have a black male role model and i would ask my aunt my aunt inez how come i didn't have one how come my mother wasn't around my mother suffered from severe Mm -hmm. mental illness and she would say oh boy go sit down i'm your mother and your father and i believed her Mm -hmm. I, i believed her and since i was a little boy i mean since i was a little boy i was told you're gonna grow up you're gonna stay in school and you're going to college I was told this consistently my entire life, but it was also reinforced. Here's the key part. My aunt, who was a social worker for the city of New York, she would get off from work and actually show up to the open school nights. And I can't tell you what she would say sometimes when I had misbehaved (laughs) in school. And she would, here's the clean version. She would say, boy, I just met with your teachers. When I get home, I'm going to whip your, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, that she would call me and tell oh, no, me that. I, I, you know? I believe it. I and believe so, it. And so it was my grandmother and my aunt, and and they. I was showered with love, and and I was I was taught that anything's. I was told, as many black males are, that you're going to have to work twice as hard. I was told that. Um, you and have so to work, you did. And so you have to work twice as hard your entire life, and and when you put together the fact that I've had bumps in the roads where things could have gone left. Um, but I, I was lucky and it was a solid foundation. And then I've, I've also had some white males that became father figures for me that stepped in, uh, my coach, Bill football coach, a New York city police officer, my uncle Lowe, uh, who lives in uh, Seattle, Washington, a white man, interracial marriage. When I moved out to the state of Washington, he was the first one that he literally taught me. No man had ever taught me this. He taught me, he says, boy, no, 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 no. He didn't call me boy, but he said, around here, we earn our keep. And I was like, what? I got to get up on Saturday mornings and help you paint? Oh my God. Oh, I want to go back to New York. But guess what? I can paint any room with the best of them. And he taught me work ethic. That's outstanding. By the way, if people are curious about Dominic's upbringing, if this is the first time you're hearing about this and you're interested in it, you should check out his book, uh, No Mama's Boy. Uh, you can get it at dominic-carter.com. That's well, actually, Dominic. Dominic. Dominic Carter online dot com. Oh, Dominic I, I Carter online dot com. I changed the site. All right. so it sounds like some sort of scam <laughs> going on. Uh, judge it for yourself. Dominic Carter online dot com. Um, but uh, it's probably some sort of money laundering operation. But it's a hey, great book nonetheless. Hey, I, I know you're going to move on with your show, and and I'm going to head on home. But what's going on with Nikki Haley? You had mentioned something to me well, about so affairs. Apparently, uh, and I'm going to get into this in just a minute. But um, apparently, the person, uh, someone that claims to have had an adulterous affair with her is uh, signed an affidavit to that effect that they did uh, something in 2008. I'm going to get into this in just a little bit, but before I, I let you go, got to ask, and if you want to comment on what we're talking about, you're welcome to, 800-848-9222. Travis Kelsey, who obviously everybody knows, half the world knows him as uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend, <laughs> uh, the other half the world knows him as a great football player that screamed at Andy Reid. He's in a bit of hot water because there were photographs of him showing him continuing to party in the wake of the shooting 
at the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade. He was spotted outside a restaurant and bar where he was meeting other members of the team. And this was hours after at least 22 people were injured and one was killed. A lot of people were had a mixed reaction to this. What's your view? Do you think this is a big deal that he was partying after the Super Bowl parade shooting? Uh, I don't think it's a big deal, but I do think it was inappropriate for him to be caught on camera. Now, listen, everybody has a cell phone these days, so no matter where you go. But I haven't seen photos of other members of the Chiefs. Now, he was he was photographed taking a, uh, a picture with a police officer. It, it, it's tough. It's tough, Frank, when you consider the, how, how much pain Kansas City is in still. Mm-hmm. Over, over what happened. I mean, the criticism is a bit unfair, but but in some respects, it is founded. Oh, so I mean, what, when you say it's unfair, it's unfair because you know everybody should have a private life and be able to go out and you know have a beer or two after they won the Super Bowl, or it's unfair that you know someone gets this amount of scrutiny about everything they're doing, or or both. everything he does now uh, is public record, and I mean everything. So it wasn't wise to jump up in his coach's face and yell yell and scream. And that audio is going to get out eventually. You know, they're saying that it won't. But I just just think that, uh, like like Patrick Mahomes, I don't think Patrick Mahomes would have been caught in a photograph uh, after this happened. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he went, I think, to the hospital and visited some of right. these people that were shot. Right. Dominic, thank you. Thank you. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on either of those uh, things, the situation involving one of the shooters of this uh, Kansas City Super Bowl parade and the mom starting a GoFundMe for her son, where she where she expected this money to go is beyond me. And, you know, this is the thing with GoFundMe, and uh, we've covered this time and again with uh, all sorts of of different people, it seems like everybody thinks that as long as their incident, whatever that incident is, gets attention, then that's their ticket to GoFundMe riches. And I think we've got to get out to some extent, or maybe we don't. Maybe this is just the world we're living in, in the 21st century, that if you're, if you create enough of a buzz, you can engage in this sort of digital uh, I don't want to call it panhandling, but this digital solicitation of money, even as in the case of this woman and her son, I don't believe they deserve it. And I'm glad they they shut it down. 800-848-9222 or the issue of Travis Kelsey partying after the shooting. I get what Dominic's saying. I, uh, I I would cut him a little bit of slack. Right. I mean, I don't know that I'd be much uh, in the mood to go partying after you learn that somebody has uh, has been killed and there's been all sorts of people injured. But should you really allow terrorists? And look, if you're shooting innocent people at a parade, you're a terrorist. I don't care if you're pledging allegiance to Al Qaeda or you're you're shooting innocent people because you have a beef over uh, over someone's girlfriend or something or whatever the basis of their dispute was. I, should you allow criminals to alter your way of life? I don't know. I don't know. I'm curious uh, as to your view. 800-848-9222. Steve is on Staten Island. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, Frank, uh, it's great to hear you guys together. Dominic, I, I, I wish uh, there's three, three things I want to say to you quickly, Frank. I, I wish I, I, I call Dominic. I tell him he, he should be a pharmacist. He should hand out medication after people that call him. But anyway, uh, and I wish I lived next door to him. But to get, to get to your point with guns, 
somebody's got to pull that trigger. Let's not make excuses for these young thugs, gangbangers. They need to be put in prison. They need to change the law. Well, I mean, they are going to be put in prison. I I think they're going to be in prison for decades. They should be put in prison for for decades. Yeah, I think they will. I think they will. That's that's what's happening here. We're we're allowing juveniles not... If you look at the crime, you look at the crime stats, I guarantee you 67% of the crime right now in the last year and a half is being committed by juveniles because they think that nothing's going to happen to them and that system is treating them like little kids. If you pull a trigger at 16 years old, if you ask me, you belong in prison for the rest of your damn life. And getting back to Kelsey and all that nonsense, that that, that singer, who I, I don't follow none of them, but uh, it, it, they, why, why even pay attention to these people? These people mean nothing to us in America. They're millionaires. Well, look, I mean, you, people They're pay attention. Well, right, that's me. your opinion, Steve. But, I mean, people pay attention because uh, they need an escape from the constant drumbeat of negativity. And for a lot of people, football is an escape. For a lot of other people, music is an escape. For a lot of uh, other people, movies might be an escape. For some people, for me, radio, a good entertaining radio program is, is an escape, right? So I, I think... I think it's a little silly to say, why do we take the most popular entertainers in the world and pay attention to them? Well, we pay attention to them because we pay attention to them. You know, I mean, that's what the way it is. 800-848-9222. Zach uh, calling from KMOX in Missouri. Hello, Zach. Hey, what's going on? You tell me, Zach. Man, all I got to say is this. I'm glad you guys are taking it down. That that should not be funded whatsoever. Fucking, excuse my language, but yeah, take it down. I'm all for it. Shots to that. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, that be Zach, to be clear, I, I didn't have anything to do with the decision to take it down. I, I'm not involved with the uh, with the GoFundMe operation at all. If I were, I, I think uh, there would be a lot of changes at what GoFundMe allows on that site and what they uh, and what they don't allow on that site. 800-848-9222. Samantha is in Harlem. Hi, Samantha. Hi, Mr. Morano. Hi. Hi, it's such a pleasure to speak with you. Likewise, thank you. Yeah, um, I, I want to say something. Um, it's really difficult, the whole idea of race and crime, because we have to look at the initial crimes. And the first initial crime was these people were brought from another place to be um, unpaid workers. And there's a legacy of harm and disrespect. And it was no family structure during slavery. So to say that black men and black families are horrible, they were ruined. Black women were raped, black men were raped, and um, families were destroyed. Men were made to breed with their own mothers. That's where the term mother came from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so so it's just like, fix, fix the structure that was destroyed, through slavery, for commerce, and then see the results. Black men are what 
America made of them. Samantha, so, let me, let me know, ask you two things. Uh, first of all, obviously, I don't think there's anything worse than than slavery, right? I mean, it's you know an indefensible uh, institution everywhere that it existed, including on this continent. Two things. One, clearly some people that have been descendants of slaves have been able to avoid falling down a wayward path where they end up taking a weapon and shooting innocent people at a parade. And, and well, let, I'll make that my first point. How do you then, knowing that some people are able to avoid becoming these sort yeah. of, you know, criminals... How do you make sure more young men of all stripes, but especially young black men, do that? How do you make sure more of them don't become... I, I, can, I, have, I have the answer. Tell um, me. God, <laughs> and being told what happened to this community, because this is happening to other communities as well. So it's just like, well, when you bring a group of people and they have no roots, literally have no name. All my siblings, we all graduated from college. My father went to Columbia in the 50s. He was a black man from New Orleans. And my mom, they met together at Louisiana State University. And we all had college degrees. None of us are criminals and none of us have done bad things, but we have the repercussions of slavery. Because my name, my, my name is not an African name. You know what I'm saying? I, I totally understand that. And can I just say, let me finish. Uh, it's hard for black males to live in a construct that was never built. So um, I'm, sorry, I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, you, you don't want it was illegal for black men to read. It no, will be. I, I understand that, Samantha, right? But. That was okay, before. Before you put down people you want to call men, were were they allowed to be men? Well, right, but that was in the eighteen fifties, right? So, uh, my, yeah, my that, it, and that was my next question, Samantha. And, and Samantha, come on, I, Samantha, I didn't, I didn't interrupt you. Let me just uh, make my. Let me ask you this question, and you can respond as however you want. Um, how long can can we use slavery as as a as an excuse for certain well, deleterious we, behaviors? It has to be, it has to be, black men need to be taught the truth to understand where they came from, to understand their feelings. So as long as it takes for you to put it in a book, what happened during slavery? But so do you feel do you feel the education is inadequate? Is that what's lacking? Well, you have to put back the things you took. You you can't steal and say, "Oh, act like you didn't. It wasn't stolen." So, right. give us back what you took, and then you can start questioning us about what we do and how we feel. Fair enough, Samantha. Thank you. Uh, you know, I think that attitude, honestly, and I know Samantha comes from a very good place with it. I think it's very damaging, honestly, because I think people may hear that 
And they'll view that as an excuse to not hold themselves to a higher standard and maybe as an excuse to engage in sort of antisocial behavior, whether it involves guns or uh, doing illegal things or taking drugs. And you then turn to, oh, what chance did I have? I was damned from before I was born because I never had an identity. I never had a real last name because I was brought here uh, as the well, my ancestors were brought here as slaves. And I really don't, it doesn't fly with me, honestly. And I'm sorry to sound insensitive, maybe it does. But I think in the 21st century, I don't think you can use as an excuse what your family went through in the 1850s. In fact, I don't think you can use it as an excuse what your family went through in the 1950s. There's a lot of people who have come from very difficult upbringings and have made themselves incredible successes, whatever success means to you, whether it's money, whether it's uh, being a well-balanced person, whether it's having a job that you enjoy, whether it's being able to raise a family that you uh, that you take pride in, whatever success means to you, there's been a lot of people that have been able to overcome adversity in all sorts of forms, abuse, um, poverty, you name it. So I, I think to say that because your ancestors back in the 1850s didn't get that opportunity. I don't, I, it sounds to me like an excuse, honestly. I'll, I'll be very candid. I appreciate the call, though, and the dialogue. 800-848-9222. Nikki Haley may have cheated on her husband. Do you care? I'll give you my answer. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. One, two, three. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. After the hour, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I, um, I, if you've listened to me talk about her at all, I, I think you know that I'm not crazy about Nikki Haley. Not as a person. I, I don't have any opinion of her as a person. She seems like a re- relatively nice person, a uh, fun person to have dinner with or to meet at a cocktail party. Nice enough person. 
um, seems like a pretty devoted mother and, you know, seems like a, a, you know, a smart enough person, right? I detest her politics. I was very disappointed in President Trump when he made her ambassador to the U.N. because her views on foreign policy, I think, are exactly where we need to get away from. I also, and look, I, I don't begrudge anyone making money, but the fact that she used her position as an ambassador to the U.N. to then land all these high-profile gigs consulting and being on the board of military defense contractors and giving speeches to these same groups and then as soon as she tries to jump back into the government adopts policy positions well they were always her policy positions in fairness has policy positions that are identical to the interests of the people that are paying her bills to me this is a textbook example of what's wrong with politics to me this is the swamp right so i would never vote for nikki haley for anything in a thousand years never never that being said there has been this story brewing uh candace owens has brought it up donald trump has brought it up um a lot of other people have written me about it regarding an affair that she supposedly had before she was governor back in 2008, an affair that she had, I think a one-time thing, with a married South Carolina lobbyist before she became governor. Now that lobbyist has um, issued an affidavit, an affidavit, describing an incident in 2008 where they had drinks together and they slept together. Uh, One-time thing, apparently. And he said he was motivated to do this because her statements were not true and he wanted to correct the record, this person. Let me say, and, and look, I, this has been my position since I was old enough to understand what this stuff was, right? Since go, going back to Gary Hart. I don't think it's anyone's business other than Nikki Haley, her husband, this lobbyist, and his wife, who Nikki Haley is sleeping with. The fact that I wouldn't vote for Nikki Haley has nothing to do with the fact that she might have lied to the public about never cheating on her husband, which is what she said. She said she would uh, never cheat, you know, she has never cheated and been 100% faithful to her husband. What do you expect her to say? When that comes up, do you expect her to say, well, yeah, actually, back in 2008, after uh, I had one too many, I went to bed with a guy that uh, I never saw again. I mean, it's a ridiculous thing. Every politician would say that. Donald Trump's sex life is of no concern to to me. Nikki Haley's sex life is of no concern to me. Dean Phillips' sex life is of no concern to me. Uh, Jill Stein's sex life, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., it makes no difference to me at all. Uh, As long as we're all talking about consenting adults, which in this Haley case, first of all, I have no idea if what this guy was saying is true. He could have been he could be just making this up, hoping this endears him to uh, some of Nikki Haley's political adversaries or making it up for any number of reasons. I don't know. People make up things all the time so far. Other than his affidavit, he hasn't produced any evidence. But I think this is ridiculous. This is why people don't want to run for office. People are afraid to run for office, good people, qualified people, smart people, people that should be wanting to go into government 
They're afraid to run for office because they say, oh, well, no, every aspect of my life is going to be put under a microscope. Uh, Heaven forbid I had a beer when I was 19 and didn't wait until I was 21. People are never going to forgive me. Well, uh, this feeds into that impression. You know, unfortunately, a lot of people have had issues with infidelity. And the fact that anybody would take one incident, one alleged incident, by the way, from 2008 and use it to help determine who you're going to vote for in 2024, it's absurd. And honestly, I would say this if we were talking about Donald Trump. In fact, I did say this when we were talking about Donald Trump, when people were raising issues about uh, some of the women that he slept with when he was married. I would say this if we were talking about Bill Clinton or Barack Obama or John Edwards. Now, if you're doing something illegal to hide an affair, like, um, you know, uh, paying someone off with a fund that you shouldn't be or something abusive or something that's uh, somehow inappropriate. That's different. That's different. But if we're talking about a one-time thing where a politician was on the road, has a few too many drinks, and is at a hotel with somebody that she's getting along with, and they end up, um, you know, spending the night together, which, again, I want to be clear, we don't even know if that's true. Who cares? So I find it really distasteful that anybody would be making an issue of this. And honestly, especially Donald Trump, given the well-documented incidents of infidelity that he's been a party to, for him to taunt Nikki Haley over this, I think is just, first of all, it's so foolish. And it, I think, invites scrutiny of his own marriages. Who needs it? So that's my view. I'm curious whether you agree with me or not. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Do you care who Nikki Haley's sleeping with? Do you care if she was unfaithful to her husband? 800-848-9222. And by the way, I want to be very clear. I say this as someone that would never vote for Nikki Haley for anything. If she was running for, well, they don't elect dog catcher in my jurisdiction, but if she was running for community school board, I wouldn't vote for her for that. Well, okay. Actually, she does seem like a pretty engaged parent. Uh, I might vote for her for community school board. Nothing above community school board would I ever vote for. But I find this 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 level of destructiveness involving people's personal lives, I find it disgusting, honestly. So let me know what you think. 800-848-9222. What do you think, Tony? Look, what she does in her personal life is her business. I really don't care. Okay, no one's perfect. Okay, right. exactly. You know, so it doesn't concern me. It's between two consenting adults. If it happened, it happened. So be it. Yeah. I mean, the person who should really take issue with this, if it happened, would be her husband. Somebody just messaged me um, that the fact that Haley's husband, who's a grown man, not some enlisted schlub, chose to go abroad during the political season should be plenty of proof that she's an adulteress. Who cares, though? Let's say she is. What difference does it make? 800-848-9222. Vincent is in Brooklyn. What's on your mind, Vincent? I agree with you. I could care less about what people do or do not do in their bedroom. I mean, as far as Donald Trump uh, getting in Nikki Haley's grill and talking about infidelity, that's like, excuse the expression, that's like the pot calling the kettle black. I, I could care less. Right. You know, Me too. I, I care about 
Are you going to get the job done? I I could care if it was SpongeBob SquarePants running for, are you going to get the job done? What I wanted to say, I heard the the tail end of Dominic's, uh, Dominic's show. They used to have programs in New York City for at-risk youth. When I went to high school over 60 years ago, they used to, every year for freshmen, juniors, sophomores, they'd have general assembly, and they'd have people who either went, went to the joint, came out and turned their life around, or people from the Fortune Society. You're going to say, what's the, do you know what the Fortune Society is? You probably do. Sure, I'm familiar with it, yeah. Uh, right, and they would come and tell the, tell the high school kids, hey, look, just because somebody dissed you and you can't control your filter, do you want to spend 20 years of your life in some uh, uh, 10 by 12 cell with a John in the, in the cell and be told what you're going to eat, when you're going to come out? Do you want to throw all that away? And New York City used to have a program where they take, let's say, kids who were getting in trouble on the wrong track, they'd actually take them up to the joint and say, is this where you want to wind up? Control yourself. Walk away. Now, that doesn't mean that if somebody comes up to you and starts punching you out in something that you're not going to defend yourself, of course right, you're going right. to try and defend it. yourself. But if somebody says, you know, it's the old, it's the old saw, uh, uh, Frank, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never harm right. me. Vincent, thank you. I appreciate it. I want to get some other people in here. 800-848-9222. E. Frank, in Astoria, what did you most want to say? Yeah, I do. I, mean, I am concerned of Nikki Haley's um, understanding of uh, fidelity, and I'll tell you why. You know, I have uh, beliefs. They're Catholic, but some of them are thwarted, a premarital understanding of what sex is and what it's not. And I think Nikki Haley, if you see her brother at 3 in the morning with a German Kaiser hat with stickers or whatever, you know, we understand that everyone has a different background and so on. But, you know, remember... You want, you're not going to agree with what Bill Clinton did with Monica Lewinsky. It's an old, old story that no one wants to remember or talk about. But you do want to know, why do, do you say you don't care what they, uh, what a politician does in the sack or what their sex life is? That's their problem with their spouse. But how about the children? Don't the, the, the adults answer to the children, and when they ask mommy and poppy, why, why are you doing that? Yeah, that's, that's a matter for their family to deal with internally. That's not a matter for the voters to consider. You might say that, but children are traumatized when they hear that their right. parents are not. So that makes somebody a bad parent, right? And then I'm not going to vote for them for father of the year or mother of the year. But it has no impact at all on whether they're uh, they're making the border more secure or what their positions are in the Middle East on, uh, <laughs> on all the conflicts going on there or where they are on taxes or the minimum wage or global warming. You know, human beings have human failings, right? So uh, I don't think we should eliminate from consideration someone who may have slept with someone that wasn't her husband almost two decades ago. To me, it's absurd. I I can't even believe it's gotten this much attention. I thought this was very much a 1990s thing that we had gotten over. Clearly, we haven't. 
800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Joe in Detroit. Hi, Joe. Yes, I want to know why Why is it when when y'all talking about black men, everything is so negative. And, and y'all don't understand what black folks been through in America. Well, first of all, America I, has never, hold on. America has never been fair to black people. So what would you like to do about it, Joe? I mean, just just treat us the way y'all treat you Ukrainians. Come, they come <laughs> over here and give all the resources to them. Give black folks the resources that America gave white people when they came here. Everything like everything is against black people. Joe, I can't, been, I can't argue oh, with that oh, one. Oh, okay, well, Joe, Joe you keep pausing and letting me think I can talk, and then I start talking and you okay, say, hold okay. on, my man. Go ahead, go ahead. America has not, hasn't did anything for black folks to, to have a leg up in America. Well, what about the... We haven't even been, hold on, we haven't even been free 60 years. So, uh, Joe, uh, first of all, you're not going to get an argument I'm from me. 60, that I'm 68 years old. We haven't even been free sixty years, Joe. Um, as and I was, if you call this freedom, we're we're a lost country. Joe, uh, first of all, thank you. Give our best to all our listeners at uh, WFDF. Uh, as I was trying to say, but uh, Joe kept asking me to hang on. I um, am not going to argue with you that all this money that we're sending to Ukraine would be better spent in the United States on all sorts of things that could be used for Americans. He gets no argument from me on that front. Two, I think, uh, you know, first of all, it was was Dominic that brought up the issue of race, and, you know, I followed up with asking the question. Three, I think it's uh, completely inaccurate where you say nothing has been done for black people. I I just don't think that that's accurate at all. I think a great deal has been done. I think you can look across the board in terms of of things like uh, affirmative action, in terms of voting rights, in terms of civil rights. I think there have been all sorts of things that have strived to bring uh, black people to the point where they have equality of opportunity towards everyone else. It's one of the reasons that... um, Two presidents ago, we had a half-black president. I mean, that would have been unthinkable in the 1940s. I think it goes to show how far the country has has come. So I, I think this this idea that we can keep blaming slavery for every social ill that's uh, bothering the black community, to me, it's... Um, it's absurd, honestly. I think it's it's the worst type of uh, excuse-making. 800-848-9222. Martin is on Staten Island. Hi, Martin. Hi. How are you? I'm so happy to hear your uh, show every night. Thank you. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to comment about Nikki Haley. So I don't know if it's my business or not what she does, but I didn't like when she used um, a few days ago, she said, how dare does Donald Trump talk about my husband? And she used that card that he is in the army and blah, blah, blah. Um, if she's so concerned about her husband, then I think it does make a difference if she cheats on him or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't like that she said that either, but that's kind of par for the course when it comes to politics. I mean, uh, I, I don't think... Yeah, never... Go ahead. I, I understand. I, understand. I, I didn't like it either, but I think then... But if she does that, then it becomes a fair play. Why, why she wants though? to go why? that route. Why? Why does it become fair play? 
because she because she's playing as if she's that beautiful, wonderful, devoted wife. And how dare do you speak against my husband that is giving himself away? Right, well, so, I, I, I don't see that so you should be so devoted to him. Let's say she did have an affair with this, this guy back in 2008. Let's say the, the, she and her husband dealt with it. Maybe they went to marriage counseling. I don't know what people do when they have affairs. They they got over this somehow and they, they've they been you know together in a, in a loving, fruitful marriage ever since then. Does How does that take away anything from what Trump said, mocking her husband and her reaction to it? I, I just I guess I'm not getting why it makes it OK to then taunt her um, when she's married, even if she had some troubles in her marriage early on. Right. I actually, it uh, makes sense what you're saying. Martin, thank you for listening and thank you for calling. 800-848-9222. You know, I've only been married five years I don't know of a marriage, and maybe I come from a skewed perspective, except for Willard Mitt Romney, who never had an argument with his wife, which I think says all you need to know about that guy. I don't know of a marriage that hasn't had a lot of difficulty. I mean, so sometimes it takes the form of... Uh, of uh, infidelity. Sometimes it takes the form of differences over child rearing. Sometimes it takes the form of other things. So uh, just the idea that you would bring up what she was doing, uh, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's absurd for the media to cover this. And there was a time when the media didn't cover this. And maybe they went a little too far in hiding affairs for people like John F. Kennedy and others. But we're in a really sick place where everybody's private business, just because they're a public figure, becomes public business. I think it's bizarre, unhealthy, and it will only keep other people from running for office in the future instead of encouraging people that are qualified, interesting, smart, intelligent, and have had success in other fields from running. That's my view. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. It's The Other Side at Midnight with Frank Morano.
You know, it was on this day in 1960 that this song, Theme from a Summer Place, uh, hit number one in America for the first nine weeks in uh, 1960, knocking out Elvis Presley's Are You Lonesome Tonight from the top spot. So a lot of you may remember where you were when you first heard this song in 1960, and a lot of you may not. Whether you do or you don't, so be it. Hey. Uh, There was some very interesting news yesterday. President Biden came out with yet another plan to forgive student loan debt. And my wife still has student loans. And um, she said to me, I guess she got a news alert on her phone about it or something. And she said, you know, every time Biden comes out with one of these student loan forgiveness plans, I am, uh, you know, it sounds like I qualify, meaning she qualifies on paper, and then for some reason there's some loophole that doesn't qualify me. So uh, apparently they've announced an additional $1.2 billion in student loan forgiveness, and uh, this is going to affect 153,000 people, and and they're going to forgive about $1.2 billion in debt under this plan and again my wife technically qualifies but she didn't get an email about it or anything at least as of yesterday so maybe she doesn't qualify under this plan those who borrowed less than twelve thousand dollars can have their debt forgiven after 10 years of payments and my wife fits that bill and you know she she mentioned to me and she really enjoyed the interview that we did with uh dennis collinge or Alan Collins, on this subject a couple of weeks ago because he pointed out maybe something that I hadn't realized. So many of the people that have student loan debt are people that have already paid back far more than they took out. She said, look, I took out an $11,000 loan and I have paid back over $18,000, right? So um, I think a lot of people are in this boat. So who knows? I'm hoping for her sake she gets this uh, student loan forgiveness because – You know, so much of both of us, so much of our salaries go to debt and servicing debt and paying down debt. Then another big chunk goes to child care. And then by the time you pay the mortgage and the electricity, then we have no more money left. So the education department, if you're wondering if you're affected by this, they're going to reach out directly to borrowers who are eligible for relief but are not currently enrolled in the SAVE plan, which is saving on a valuable education. So, obviously, this is one of those things where we can debate the merits of whether it's a good policy or a bad policy, but in the Murano household, we would be very, very happy if uh, we got a little bit of student debt relief. I'll continue with your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. 
used to <clears throat> wake up when I was still waking up in the morning instead of the afternoon. I used to wake up with a radio alarm clock, and it would play the radio, and that would be my cue to wake up. And a lot of times what would occur, sometimes I'd wake up, but more often what would occur is whatever was playing on the radio, and it was always talk shows, but whatever was playing on the radio, that would become the soundtrack of what I was dreaming about. And I would be, say, I would be asleep listening to uh, Curtis and Kuby or Howard Stern. And whatever I was doing, playing in a baseball game, uh, being on a boat, hanging out on the beach, I was having a conversation with the people on the radio that were having it in real life. But it became the soundtrack of my dream. You know, I wasn't really that crazy about the film Inception, but the one thing about that film that I think they get right is how what's happening in real life kind of invades your dream. It, you assign imagery to it in your dream. In any event, um, Ellen, who's a terrific uh, listener of ours, writes all the time and she provides the most comprehensive uh, reviews and critiques on Facebook in the Facebook group. If you're not in the Facebook group, you should absolutely join. Uh, she, you know, is really good in terms of summarizing every segment, and then he'll, she'll give her opinion of what she thought on every segment. A lot of people do this with me privately, but I love that she does it in the Facebook group because it's a very good starting point for discussion. And sometimes people will read her description, and then if they missed a portion of the show, they'll decide whether they want to go back and listen to something that they may have missed, or they'll decide that they don't want to. So Ellen is uh, aces, in my view. So she writes me recently that she had the weirdest dream last um, Thursday into Friday, and then um, basically that... I was, uh, I'll spare you the, the details here, but I was in the dream. And this has occurred regularly. A lot of people have said that they fall asleep listening to this show and they'll be dreaming and I'm in the dream with them. So I thought it would be interesting to have you tell me if I've ever been in your dream and what we were doing. In Ellen's case, she says that she was supposed to drive a truck filled with mail to its destination. It was a directive from me to her. So she got into the truck numerous times, and each time she really wanted to do what I told her to do, but she was unable to because she didn't know how to drive that kind of truck. So finally she just gave up. But she was so upset that she was disappointing me. The truck apparently looked exactly like the one that Newman and Kramer drove with, with Newman's mail. And she remembered that in the dream, she was able to see into the truck from the outside in and could see the image of her right against the glass. And she said it was very strange because although she was in the dream, she was able to look from the outside in. And that's happened to me a lot where I'm in the dream, but I'm watching it. Almost like a movie. 
These days, I don't sleep with the radio anymore because when I go to sleep, my wife is still asleep and I don't want to disturb her. And she's got this whole white noise machine thing going on, which I do think is actually successful in drowning out a lot of the outside noise. But she loves it. She swears by it. And it stays on when I go to sleep. So basically, she'll get up around 6.30 or 7 and I'll go to bed around that time. So we're we're asleep at the same time for maybe about 20 minutes a day. And then, um, so I'm not going to put on the radio and risk waking her up because she doesn't fall asleep with the radio. But if I had my natural druthers, that's probably how I would both go to sleep and wake up. So I was just curious if I've ever been the soundtrack of your dream. And if so, what were we doing? Keep it. Relatively clean, you, you know, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Do you know what happened today in 1997? How long ago was that? Let's see. 2007, 2017. 27 years ago today. 27 years ago today, this occurred. Meet Dolly. She may look ordinary, but she's the stuff of science fiction, the world's first sheep cloned from another adult. The experiment in which she was created was carried out at the Rosslyn Institute near Edinburgh. Scientists here have already produced genetically identical sheep from the same embryo, but never before has one sheep been cloned from the single cell of another fully grown animal. There are a number of genetic diseases for which there isn't a cure at the present time, serious diseases, and this will enable us to carry out research into the causes of those diseases and perhaps develop methods to treat them. What has been done is to take one sheep cell, treat it in a chemical bath, and then place it into a different sheep's egg cell. It's something that conjures up horrific prospects for some people. Whatever can be done in mammals can usually be done with humans with a little bit of extra difficulty, but we get there. This isn't a cloned lamb. It's a perfectly normal one. But one day soon it will be possible to give her thousands of absolutely identical sisters, all genetically engineered to produce products for us. So it was 1997, February 22nd, when Dolly the sheep was cloned. And since then, cloning has come... Very far. I don't know if you remember, but about three years ago, I did an interview with uh, a gentleman named uh, Jay Richards, who was the, uh, no, actually, uh, it wasn't him, but we, we did an interview with a gentleman who had a company who uh, that would clone dogs and cats, and I thought it was really interesting what uh, what he was describing, and he has several cloned pets, and at the time, I thought a couple of things. One, I thought, I, I was not the kind of thing that I would ever do, even no matter how much I loved my dog or my cat, because there are so many dogs and cats that need homes, that need to be adopted, that to me, if, you, if you're taking in a, first of all, it's very expensive, but if you were to clone an existing pet, you're really creating a new dog or cat rather than uh, rather than give a home to a cat or a dog that really needs a home. And the other thing that I thought about was how close are we to cloning humans being a regular thing? We've talked before about the problem that this country is having with fertility, and there's a lot of factors behind that. We can go into it. I saw a Star Trek The Next Generation episode recently 
Uh, in fact, somebody brought it up last Friday, I think, called Up the Long Ladder, where there were these colonists, and almost all of these colonists died. There were only five or six of them. So they didn't want to get into inbreeding to survive. So they end up cloning, cloning all five of those original columnists, colonists to create a whole society of clones. I wonder how close we are to active cloning of humans. Because you could see people cloning humans for selfish purposes, right? You could say see a situation where someone may need a kidney or some type of organ and they clone themselves in order to get that kidney. Or, this might even be more likely, I don't think this is crazy. I know a lot of couples that have had difficulty conceiving. Some of them adopt... Some of them go the IVF route. Some of them just keep trying the the old-fashioned way. I wonder if it was an option for these couples to clone either the father or the mother, would they? Would they? The way cloning works um, is basically this clone would not, you, you would not be able to just duplicate a facsimile of yourself as you are now, this clone would have to be born and mature and things like that. But then, and I know it's a comedy, but then you think of the film Multiplicity. Do you remember Multiplicity? I really empathize with Michael Keaton and his he's the main character in Multiplicity because he's a guy that, I, I think every guy listening can empathize with this. He is totally stretched to his limit. He's trying to be a good husband. He's trying to be an attentive father, be involved in his kids' lives. He's trying to uh, run a business and be involved in his work life and do a good job at work. And he's trying to maybe even find a few minutes for himself to play golf or something. And he can't do it. He can't do it. So he comes in contact with this scientist that offers to clone him as an adult. Kid doesn't have to, you know, start at zero and work their way up. Offers to clone him as an adult. And he creates first a clone to help with work. He finds that's still not enough. So he creates another clone to help with all the chores around the house. And then creates another clone to help with other things so that he can finally find a little bit of time for R&R. And then the clones themselves find they're biting off a little more than they could true, and they start cloning themselves. This is from the film uh, Multiplicity, which is a cute film. I basically described the whole premise, and it took the film essentially 90 minutes to do what I just did in 90 seconds. But if you enjoyed that 90 seconds, you'll enjoy the whole 90 minutes. This is where the, the clones meet clone number four. What are you doing? What do you mean, what am I doing? I'm splitting atoms. I'm having a smoke. What's it look like? Yeah, I can see you're having a smoke. What the hell for? What's to you? What's to me? I spent a thousand dollars to quit, remember? That's what it is. <coughs> Looks like it didn't take. Hey, don't ever blow smoke in my face again. <laughs> what are you gonna do about it? What am I gonna do about it? I'll hit you so hard, I'll kill him. 
Guys, guys, come on, come on, guys. Maybe we gotta sit down and have, you know, a rap session or something because you're both feeling a lot of anger here and I'm just afraid, you know, you're like two lions or something. Shut so up. Shut up. Sorry. Oh, man. Where's your aspirin? Tylenol, Doug. It's less abrasive on the stomach. It's in the kitchen, above the cabinet. Yeah, no, yeah, I'll find it. Oh, man. Guys, look at this place. It's a mess. I can't even leave you alone for a minute. Just... <laughs> Doug, if I might. One, two, three, four, twelve. Fella. Doug, I'd like you to meet four. So the clones all develop their own personality based on the tasks that they're involved in every day. The one that is doing chores all day long develops, and the one that's basically Mr. Mom develops a little bit more of a maternal instinct. The one that's working all day long develops a little bit more of a hardened edge. And, you know, they all kind of develop their own little uh, personalities. It's a fun movie. It's interesting. But And I don't know of a single person, guys especially, I'm sure women feel the same way, but I don't know of a single person that doesn't feel like there are times when there need to be four of you. I feel that way. I feel uh, right that I need a person just to... Um, do the rate be radio Frank, then another person to be father Frank, then uh, chore Frank, then husband Frank, then um, you know uh, political Frank, then hanging out Frank. I really do feel like I need six separate clones, but obviously you don't get that. What if you could? What if you could? So a two part question that I'd like to ask you is one. Do you think cloning a human, like they did with Dolly the sheep, someone that you would raise from a baby, do you think cloning is ethical when it's done for, say, a couple that does not want to have, uh, th that is not able to conceive a child naturally? Would you go for that? Because I honestly think the technology for that is, if it's not here, it's around the corner. Two... What would you think about doing a multiplicity? What Michael Keaton did in that picture, cloning yourself so that you have more bandwidth to do things that are needed. That is the two-part question at 800-848-9222. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited... A and I would also like to know if I've ever appeared in any of your dreams and what we were doing. Let me begin with Paul in Maryland. Hello, Paul. Yes. The, what they say about dreams recently is that they are a replay of the day's events. Right. But what about while you're experiencing something simultaneously, like, say, listening to this radio show while you're sleeping? Then that would be the then, then it would be reconstructed differently. Dreams are reconstructions; mm -hmm. they are not the event itself. Right, I understand they are that. Reconstructions of events. I understand that, Paul. Have I ever been in one of your dreams? No. Oh, 
I'm a little. I don't listen to you very much. <laughs> I'm I... I'm doubly insulted then, Paul. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. George, hello. Hi there. Uh, hi, Frank. Over the years, I've been wondering about dreams, their meanings, etc. And I've uh, read, uh, like, uh, I've uh, gone through a dictionary of dreams. You know, one, what each definition would be for what you have seen in a dream. For example, a crow is bad, a snake is horrible, etc. Now, uh, uh, what I believe in, as far as you mentioned, uh, you know, listening to radio, most likely by listening to radio, you're going to see a Bob Grant or even you, Mr. Morano, in, in, in the dream, or something uh, to do with radio personalities. If you go to sleep and what your dr- dream meant uh, while you were listening to talk radios, uh, you know, going to sleep, your uh, as, uh, aspiration was to become one of those personalities. Now, if somebody's hungry and goes to bed, that person is going to dream food, something to do with food. Mm-hmm. If somebody has a fight, a row with somebody else and goes to bed, is going to have pretty bad dreams. But if uh, someone on the uh, other extreme has had a great time and goes to sleep, is bound to have uh, very decent, nice dreams, you know? So dreams are what, in uh, general, is uh, 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 whatever's happened to you or uh, uh, your thoughts during the day or just before going to sleep. Uh, And then you dream based on what your thoughts were or your happenings during that day, especially later uh, that day before going to bed. So I, I myself have dreamt, uh, and dreams, it's difficult to remember when you get up in the morning or uh, uh, whenever you wake up, you know, in your mm-hmm. case, in mm-hmm. our case. Yeah. So, so George, have I ever I appeared in one of your dreams? I probably dreamt Bob Grant, for example, while I had the radio on, you know. Uh, and uh, once I uh, uh, Regis Philbin oh. and his wife, we were sitting down in a pizzeria and having pizza together, you know, and I had uh, seen him uh, on TV. I see. And well, this is while he was you know, alive? So I dreamt him. This is while he was alive? While he was alive. Oh. Right, uh, absolutely. This was uh, several years ago. All right, well, I'm sorry and I never made we one of your dreams, George, at- but uh, hopefully na- hopefully tonight. Maybe tonight will be the night. Thank you, George. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Uh, Specialist Lopez is in the South Bronx. Hello, Specialist Lopez. Hey, hey my brother. How you doing? God bless you. God bless you. Family. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. You're top of the line, and I appreciate the way you handle yourself in speaking to other people and, and letting them know the truth of what is the truth. Thank you. And, I appreciate and, that. Yeah, yeah. I was I was listening. I was like, I said, wow, uh, uh, Mr. Morano did great with uh, uh, the speakers, uh, the people who were calling and, and for what they were saying, and, and you told them, you know, uh, exactly what is. And that's great. 
and, and then you jumped into this dream thing, right? I've right. had some bad dreams. Well, say, say ye. I'm listening, sir. Well, no, no, I thought I, th- I didn't realize you were done speaking. Oh no! Forgive me. No, I paused to let you speak, sir. Oh, well, you have no place on this show, then, <laughs> Mr. Lopez, uh-huh. because nobody ever pauses to uh-huh. let me speak. But, um, but uh, yeah. So, tell me, did did I ever appear in one of your dreams? Uh, uh, no. I, I'm trying to put a picture uh, when I, I have your phone number, and then and and I got to put the address in there of uh, WABC Radio, and then I put your picture there. I saw it briefly uh beforehand but i don't have an actual uh picture of of you okay yeah all right well but i'm gonna put it there okay well uh thank you i appreciate the call and the nice words yeah i mean sometimes you can dream about someone even if you don't necessarily know what they look like i think that's very very common 800-848-9222 david in the boogie down bronx hi david Yes, good morning. Um, I would like to talk to you about this uh, cloning business. I'm a big believer in the notion that just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. And the number of ethical issues that you brought up with this cloning business, uh, there's so many of them. But the the one about organs in particular, I would find it highly uh, questionable to clone a person oh, so would be I. a yeah. organ farm, which, which is what that would be. Right. And the other issue is, and you didn't bring this up, but I'm sure you're aware the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that uh, frozen embryos count as fully developed human beings. How could you even conduct such experiments under these conditions that that becomes a, a widespread uh, type of law? Because uh, that not only would that ban IVF potentially, because the University of Alabama just said they're not going to do mm-hmm. it anymore. But that would also stop all of this experimentation in any IVF. You're right. So there won't be this, this cloning issue. And, um, you know, I just think it, it would be strange for a couple who can't have children to get together and decide, well, if we're going to have a child, let's make it look like one of us. Because let's be honest, uh, clear or honest. I'm not sure if that's the right word. If I were to get a clone of myself, that is a totally, even though the appearance would be the same, that is a totally different individual who would have totally different experiences. Right, well, so that's why I could, I could definitely see a scenario where some parents may want the opportunity to re-raise themselves, to correct the, the, the mistakes that they perceive that their parents made in their upbringing. I, I could absolutely see a lot of uh, want, uh, would-be parents going for that, couldn't you? I mean, not that, not that I think we should, but I could absolutely see a market for that. All right, can I tell you why that wouldn't work? There have been movies about this. I think, I don't know if Brazil was one of them. Yeah, Boys from Brazil was the one where they tried to clone Hitler. Right. Now, let's say you cloned Adolf Hitler right now, brought him up as a child. He would not have the same experiences that molded him into the person that he was. Some people have pathological issues, so he might be, you know, violent or otherwise crazed. 
but he would not be the same person. This idea that you can right, right but David, I think you're kind of, I, I think you're kind of making the the point as to why some parents would want to do it because I think you, there, you're not necessarily wanting to um, have someone that's identical to you. You want a child that you have some genetic link with, and this would be a strong genetic link, but still would be a product of their upbringing and their environment. Obviously, All if right. you if you're raised in Louisiana, Louisiana, and, and they're quoting David from the Bronx, the David 2.0 would probably have uh, a New Orleans accent. All right. Can we give you, let me give you a quick scenario. All right. I inherited uh, diabetes through both my parents and got it in my mid-teens because of bad parenting feeding habits. Nothing that had anything to do with me because you, as a child, you can't control what you're being fed. Okay. Now, I could imagine myself being cloned and then trying to make sure that this child that looks like me would never develop diabetes or end up blind like I am now. But that person would not be me. It would look like me, but that person would be a totally separate yeah, individual. David, I, I, I understand. About right, I, I understand that, David. It, uh, but and again, I, I think we're talking in circles. I think that's why a lot of parents would want that as their child because it would be a different person because it would be a pr- someone that's a product of their upbringing, not necessarily someone that's solely a product of their genes. Right, but my I guess my point is, and this will be it because I don't want to go in circles either. Um, the, the, this, this, my point is though that assuming that this can actually be done, a couple that would be um, suitable for this would be able to produce a normal child and they wouldn't need the cloning. So if, if this cloning thing ever happened in a situation like we've been talking about, that would be a purely optional choice that someone would do for what I think would be selfish and narcissistic reasons. That's just my opinion. Thank you. Well, thank you, David. Look, I, I know some people, you know, I, I know one couple now that has gone through IVF multiple times and they've been unable to conceive a child. I, if you told that child, if you told that couple that, that is desperately wants a baby that, uh, you know, I'm sorry, IVF hasn't worked for you, but we could implant a clone of one of you in, you know, in, in your womb, I think they would go for it, honestly. And they would view this as a chance to raise a baby. I, I, and I think a lot of couples that have not had luck with other fertility treatments may try the same thing. I think there could would be a huge market for this. I'm curious what you think about that on an ethical basis and whether you think that would take off. Because honestly, if you could do it with dogs, which they're doing it, if you can do it with cats... If you can do it with sheep, I honestly think we're there with uh, with humans. Maybe not literally there at the moment, but I think it's only a, a matter of time. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
dreams, Fleetwood Mac. 800-848-9222. If I've ever been in one of your dreams, you should tell me. But um, <clears throat> a couple of things. One, yesterday, I guess I uh, lost track of time because we had three guests yesterday. Um, I forgot to name a listener of the week. We did have one picked out. I did not get to name that person. So let me go ahead and name this week's listener of the week. This is a really wonderful listener. This is someone who followed me, started in as a listener in the New York area, and then would listen to me in New York on the station that I was on, not the one that I'm on in New York now. Then they would still listen to me when they moved to Maryland on the WABC app doing this show. And then they were one of the people that was so instrumental in getting me carried on WCBM in Baltimore. He wrote to the folks at WCBM and said, you know, I listen to Frank Moreno all the time. You should really carry his show. And you know what? They did. They did. And that's really the best way to get us carried on these other stations is when people in the area say that you should carry them. Then he moves to Florida and he gets us he's uh, gets us carried on a station down in Florida. So this is a listener that has an incredible amount of persuasiveness with radio management and someone that has literally followed me into three different jurisdictions as a listener. So I want to name this week's listener of the week formerly of New York, then of Maryland, now of Florida, Al Lewis. Congratulations, Al Lewis. You are the listener of the week. Not Grandpa Al Lewis from the Munsters, who was a friend of mine, who I uh, really, uh, really just was a huge fan of. I think I even voted for him one year. But uh, a different Al Lewis. Al Lewis currently of Florida. Congratulations, Al, as uh, such a loyal listener and this week's listener of the week. Uh, You can email me a couple of bumper music selections, and we will play them on the air tomorrow for our Friday show. Now, even though it's Thursday, uh, unfortunately, you still only have a six-day tenure as Listener of the Week, and then we still have to pick another one on Wednesday. One of the other things that I'm doing with the Listener of the Week is I'm giving them a special number so that they can get through all the time uh, if all the other lines are jammed. So we will get uh, to that in... We will get you that as well, Al. All right. 800-848-9222. Kevin is in New Jersey. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Frank. Yeah, it's funny you're talking about this subject. I was going to call you at the time, but I thought you'd think I was nuts. I had a dream about you. Ooh. Yeah, it was around the time of your New Year's Eve Eve party. And I had told you once in the past that my brother-in-law lives right outside of AC. And he has a four-bedroom house. So in my dream, and I had talked to my wife about this while you were about to have the party. So in my dream, you guys, you and Rachel came and stayed with us at my brother-in-law's house. Oh, it was brilliant. We were drinking. He makes a a mean Bloody Mary. We were drinking Bloody Marys. We were smoking cigars, and I don't even like cigars. We were smoking (laughs) cigars. (laughs) So it was cool. He has a fire pit in the yard. We were in the yard hanging out. It was, I, it was pretty strange. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a uh, a fun dream. Let me ask you this, Kevin. When you had that dream, 
Was it while you were listening to the show, meaning were the things that I was saying on the radio while you were sleeping, did that become the soundtrack of your dreams, or was it totally separate, not at all what you were, what was being played on the radio? No, no, it was totally separate because I'm up all night with you. I have a bread route, so I wasn't actually, you know, laying down, falling asleep at the time. It was after that because we were thinking about actually coming to your party because I never come. I have my schedules crazy, so I can never come to your party. And this year just so happened my night off was that same night. So we were going back and forth saying, should we go? Should we go? And we were actually down there that weekend. I think it might have been even that weekend when I was down there when I had the dream, to be honest with you. That's so, very funny. Well, good. I'm flattered yeah, to make it. Hopefully we get to uh, hang out in real life one of these days soon. Absolutely. You love it. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Frank, you know, since I, this happened to be just a few days ago. You were in my dream, and it was actually the, uh, the latter scenario that you just uh, asked him. You were, I, I fell into one of the subjects that you were uh, talking about. And it wasn't pleasant, the dream. I don't remember what it was, but of course, we, you know, we know that, that we have the power to forget, and that has to do with dreams. We forget 90-something percent of our dreams. I think the good ones we remember. This was not a good one. And I remember, I, I was saying, I'm going to have to stop listening to the radio if this happens more often, I said. I mean, it was like... Uh, you you were like running my show like you like like you were running the talk show. I said, you know, this can't happen again. So I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't it wasn't fun. So uh, I don't know what I'm going to do in the future, but I don't think I'm going to be that cautious. You know, I'm going to just keep on doing what I'm doing, basically. Uh, so that's I just wanted to let you know that. Well, well so, but you don't remember what we were, what, why it was a bad dream, what we were doing that was negative. It was it, all I remember was it was something that I would not have gotten into. See, I like hearing these people give theories about dreams. They don't know what they're talking about. Most dreams are nonsense. The only serious dreams you have um, is from like early in the morning that you dream in the morning just before you wake up. That's what the Jewish tradition holds. So these are nonsense. This was a nonsensical dream. It was about a subject that I would have nothing, no connection to, but I happened to be implanted into that subject because I was listening to your to your show. I was saying, what the hell am I doing in this to this subject? You know what I, I mean? I don't belong here. I love that. That's great, Larry. Uh, Larry, thank you. Hopefully, the next time we meet in your subconscious, it'll be a better meeting. Thank you, Larry. 800-848-9222. So Saturday is the SAG Awards. And I'm a member of SAG, so I get to vote in the SAG Awards. I was, um, I have not voted yet. I've been waiting to the last minute, and I have to get my votes in by tomorrow because the ceremony is Saturday. And what I was thinking is, let me try and watch as many of the films as possible so that I can cast an informed vote. You know, both when I'm voting for awards or when I'm voting for a candidate for office, I try to cast informed votes. And... Lo and behold, I mean, goes back to that time issue that we were talking about earlier. I have um, seen almost none of the films, so I hate to do it, but I'm just going to cast an inform an, an uninformed vote for all the f- films and TV shows that I have seen that I kind of liked, or for actors that I've seen uh, that I kind of like, even if I haven't seen the project. So I'm going to do that tomorrow. Yesterday, last night, though. My wife and I did get to finish one of the films that's nominated for an Academy Award. It's nominated, I think, for Best Soundtrack and maybe one other category. 
Um, it's nominated for, uh, I, I, don't, I don't remember, but it's nominated for a couple of different awards. Uh, best Original Score, and um, yeah, Best Original Score, that's what it was nominated for. As you would expect with this composer, John Williams, who did Star Wars, who did Jaws, who did some of the most famous soundtracks in history, he got yet another Academy Award nomination at 91 years old. The film was... Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So it only took us, I think, two sittings, maybe three sittings to finish it. It's long. It's two and a half hours. But honestly, for entertainment value, I found this much more entertaining than the uh, than Maestro, which is about the same length. I really enjoyed it. Look, when you watch an Indiana Jones film, you know what you're getting. You know that you're getting... <clears throat> You know what you're getting. It's an action movie. It's fun. I thought it was really enjoyable. I think it was uh, far better than the last Indiana Jones sequel, which I think was the Crystal Skull or something along those lines. Not nearly as good as uh, the as Raiders of the Lost Ark. Not nearly as good as Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which is my favorite of those films. And um, I, I actually probably may have liked it better than Temple of Doom. I thought it was really good. I thought it was entertaining. I thought it was fun. I thought the story was decent. I thought the special effects, you know, I'm not going to give away much, but they do use on an older actor a, a, a degree of the anti-aging makeup. They make him younger in the film. I think the digital anti-aging looks much better in this film than it did when it came to The Irishman, where they did that digital anti-aging of Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci. I thought it was really fun and uh, a nice little picture. If you're a an Indiana Jones fan, I think you would like the picture. It got mixed reviews. A lot of people didn't like it. They thought it was weak. But uh, I, I think for Harrison Ford in his 80s, to be able to pull off this role as effectively as he does, I think is really impressive. So I thought it was uh, I thought it was worth seeing if you're an Indiana Jones fan. If you're not an Indiana Jones fan, then of course you're not going to get anything out of it, right? You probably won't enjoy it. But I think if you are, then it's definitely worth seeing. Speaking of films, I received word that The Rock who apparently is returning to wrestling. I don't know about that. We'll have to ask uh, Matt Blaze, who keeps up with this a little bit more than I do these days. The Rock is apparently responsible for making... He's going to be making a biopic of my favorite wrestler, Ric Flair, the one and only uh, 27-time champion of the world, Ric Flair. Flair and I cannot wait for this. I really hope this happens. There's been a bunch of documentaries about Flair. There was the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary. Uh, there was the um, the one that's on that was on Pe- Peacock. But now The Rock is discussing this next movie. It's called uh, I don't know that it has a title yet, actually. But apparently, this is going to be something that he's producing. Uh, the Rock says he grew up. In the world of pro- professional wrestling, where he met and idolized Flair, a reverence that grew when he broke into the business and began to spill his own sweat and blood in arenas across the um, uh, across America. So I think this is one of those things that could be great. 
or it could be terrible. But I am very excited about this. If there's anybody that's lived a fascinating life and had a fascinating wrestling career, it's Ric Flair. Well, they said Flair wasn't fair about what he's done, but Flair's always been fair. Everybody knows how fair Ric Flair's been. And if you can't be fair to Flair, who can Flair be Flair fair to? So if you're fair to him, there's no, no reason why you shouldn't be fair to him. He's fair to you. I always said Ric Flair's the kind of a man I say, be fair to Flair. If Flair can't be fair to you, why should he be fair to Flair? But Flair is fair to you, so you should be fair to Ric Flair. Wouldn't you say so? I mean, be fair. Makes sense to me. You make so, sense. I, I can't disagree with you. So me. much for our emotional moment here on Monday Nitro, but let the footage speak for itself. I think this is fair. I think this is outstanding. Uh, I'm going to see if I can maybe be a voice in this movie or something. I mean, probably I can't, but uh, I'll see. I don't even know who's responsible. I wouldn't know how to reach out to The Rock about getting to be a voice in this. I would imagine they'll actually go with people who are, I don't know, actors. But uh, it would be fun to be involved with this in some form or another. I think it's very, very interesting. I'm glad to see that is coming to fruition. Oh, there was one other story about dogs. Since we're on the subject of uh, of pets that I had to bring to your attention, there was an article in the Washington Post that skipping your dog's walk is a much bigger deal than you think. So for dogs, only hanging out in their backyard is like reading the same book again and again. So this article by uh, Kelly Conaboy says that for a dog to be properly stimulated... It's not good enough that they just go out into the backyard. They need to see different places. They need to get out and move. They need to get out and see different scenarios, and that gives them the proper stimulation. I'm going to invite uh, this writer on the program because she lives in New York, and she covers dogs and dog culture, and she's wrote a bunch of interesting articles about dogs that I found interesting. So I'll see if she wants to come on and talk about it. All right, we'll continue with your calls straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. Debbie Gibson, Only in My Dreams. You know, I mentioned yesterday that uh, my wife wasn't crazy about the haircut that my son recently got. And it's the same barber that gave him his previous haircut, who she, which she enjoyed, which she thought was quite good. So I must have given him a confusing instruction or something. So she said she can't deal with his haircut anymore. She thinks, thinks it looks like a, a bowler or something. She said he looks like one of the little rascals. So she says you got to get him back in there. See if you can get him an appointment on Saturday and get him cut again. Now, I felt bad telling my barber, who's a great guy and has been cutting hair for many decades. I felt bad telling him that my wife didn't like the haircut. So here's what I did. I'm almost ready for a haircut. I said, let me have an appointment, right? And then what my plan is, is maybe day before, maybe day of, 
I'm going to send him an SMS text message and say, can I bring in Carmine to just do a little trim right after me and see how that goes? Now, I I don't know if that means I'm going to be paying for two haircuts. Probably it will be, but uh, I am not going to listen to his mother talk about how she doesn't like his haircut for, you know, until his next one. So uh, we'll see. That's my plan is that we'll both get a little trim. I'm going to do the Friday text to the barber and see how he reacts to that. We'll see. All right, 800-848-9222. We got a lot on our plate. We're talking dreams. We're talking cloning. We're talking dogs. We're talking Indiana Jones. You name it. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Susie listening on KMOX in St. Louis. Hi, Susie. Hi. Uh, I would like to talk in regards to cloning. Uh, I am 91 years old, and God she created sound a day each over one 90. of us to be an individual. And then, as an individual, you on your own are to make choices. And when you are overwhelmed, it's time for you to use your inner intelligence to pick what really is important and what is unimportant. And well, I've made it to this age, and I've made choices, and I do not agree with cloning at all. God created humans. Well, I mean, what about what I raised earlier, the possibility of reproductive assistance, that cloning could offer an option for individuals who are unable to conceive through conventional means and provide an alternative for reproductive assistance? What about that? Well, if they cannot reproduce, they can volunteer, they can adopt, they can help uh, at an orphanage, they can... Uh, no, I know there's a lot of options, but cloning uh, the, doesn't get any more appealing to you in that circumstance either. No, okay. cloning is just strictly out in okay. my belief that God created this earth. All right, and thank, he created thank you. Us each one for a purpose. I appreciate it, Susie. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Ellen is in New Jersey. What do you think, Ellen? Hi, Frank. Um, wow, that was a loaded intro there. Uh, cloning, yes and no. I think it has its place. Unfortunately, the way you were talking about using it for couples who cannot uh, have children because of multiple miscarriages wouldn't work because cloning involves in vitro fertile, well, in vitro implantation. Cloning gets you what's the genetic makeup. The old-fashioned way, the sperm from the man is introduced into the woman's body, meets up with the egg, then it implants in her body and starts growing. Well, Cloning, you've got, just just give me another second. So you've got a, a genetic makeup that's half from the man, half from the woman. In cloning, you take a regular cell, any cell theoretically, a skin cell, uh, a, 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 a cell from the liver, from a muscle, and that's either the male or the female, totally. But you still take that cell and you grow it up in the lab, just as if you were doing in vitro fertilization in the lab where you took the sperm from the man and the egg from the woman, get it together in the lab until it grows up to an embryo and it's implanted. Same thing happens with cloning, only you take a single cell, either from the woman or from the man, 
grow it up until it's an embryo, and you implant it. So it's a problem that the couple's having is that they can't carry, she can't carry the baby to term. Cloning doesn't work for that. It just changes the genetic makeup. It's still growing it outside of the body and implanting it into the woman. So, Ellen, there is a big debate about this now, whether or not reproductive cloning, which is what this is called, should be banned or not. Do you think it should be banned? I'm on the fence. Uh, I think cloning would be great for uses like uh, burn patients getting their own cells. Well, I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking first. The skin. No, or and you need a kidney. You know how you're getting Sure, sure. But, but Ellen, uh, that's... Reproduction, yeah, but, I don't know. Okay. I, I can't give you a yes or no answer because I'm not 100% sure. I don't think it's 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 you know, uh, horrible, horrible. I think it has a place, but I'm not sure if it's a great idea for reproduction. Got it. Uh, Ellen, thank you for the call. I mean, that's, you know, organs is one of the big main arguments for cloning. Medical advancements, another big argument for cloning. Disease research. But the other one is reproductive assistance, especially with people struggling to reproduce in this day and age. A lot of folks view it also as a benefit for species conservation. A lot of people say uh, this could lead to, you know, uh, familial legacy issues. So um, this, this is a debate that's going on not just in this country, but all over the world. So I'm curious what people think. Those of you that are holding, I'll try and get to you. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. For many years now, the norm in the workplace has been a five-day work week. One of the things that we've seen in recent years is all over the Western world, by the way, not just in the United States, but an increased push for a four-day work week. Some of these four-day work week plans involve working slightly longer hours, but many of them don't. Many of them say basically just cutting off that fifth day of work. And some people point to studies or anecdotal examples which say that the four-day work week is just as productive, if not more so, than the five-day work week. So... How is this working out in places that have tried it? Well, one of the most widespread experiments with this has been done in the United Kingdom, the good old UK. And most of the UK companies that took part in the world's biggest ever four-day working week trial have made the policy permanent, permanent. Of the 61 organizations that took part in a six-month UK pilot in 2022, 54 of them, that's 89%, are still operating the policy a year later, and 31 of them have made the change permanent. More than half of project managers and CEOs 
said a four-day week in which staff worked 100% of their output in 80% of their time had a positive impact on their organization, according to the report. For 82%, this included positive effects on staff well-being. 50% found it reduced staff turnover, while 32% said it improved job recruitment. Nearly half said working and productivity improved. I'm not sure how I feel about this, honestly. And obviously, I want, if I was running a business, I'd want the most productive workplace uh, possible. One of the things that I am disturbed by in the United States is we're one of the few Western countries that doesn't have some sort of mandated vacation. And even uh, the people, and you know, speaking for myself, this is this is certainly the case. Even the people that do have vacation time they're, that they're entitled to don't end up using it. And there's a bunch of reasons why you don't end up using it. Sometimes it can be just a little bit of a hassle to go on vacation. You have to prepare so much. Obviously, radio is different than the rest of the world. But in this aspect, I think it's similar. You have to prepare so much to go away that sometimes it's not worth the effort to, um, you know, even if you do a staycation, it's not worth the effort of taking off. You have to, re- you know, do so much repair work when you come back that sometimes you feel like it's not worth it. Otherwise, and this this is certainly true in competitive industries, you feel like by taking a vacation, you're putting yourself at a little bit of a disadvantage. Maybe someone else in your workplace, maybe someone else at another workplace gets a leg up because they're working while you're sitting around getting a suntan somewhere. But uh, let's just talk not about vacation, but about the four-day work week. So they say, these companies that are analyzed in this report that there was fewer staff, less staff turnover, positive effects on staff well-being. And the report's author, Juliet Shore, who's a professor of sociology at Boston College, said the results showed real and long-lasting effects. Physical and mental health and work-life balances are significantly better than at six months. Burnout and life satisfaction improvements held steady. So maybe this isn't one of those things where it's not a one-sized-fits-all approach. Maybe some industries, some workplaces would do very well with a four-day work week, and maybe others wouldn't, right? But I'm curious if you think this is a trend that is going to continue to grow, because I think it is. And I'm curious what effect you think this will have on productivity. 800-848-9222-800-848-9222. Dr. Mark Downs is chief executive of the Royal Society of Biology. He had some positive things to say on the subject of a four-day work week. We see there's actually been a decline in the amount of sick days taken during the period of the trial. We were starting off sick leave around about the you know, five, um, four to five days perhaps per person per year um, on average. It's down to less than two at the moment. So I think it's a really substantial difference, actually. So I, I, I'll interpret because I know a lot of you don't speak English. You may only speak American. He's saying there's fewer people taking sick days. I'm not at all surprised by that because people come to work, they work themselves ragged, just the commuting alone can really take a toll on you. You get fatigued, sometimes you get stressed out, and what happens when you're fatigued and you're stressed out and you're in the workplace with all these other people that are coughing and sneezing? These opportunistic infections take hold of you.
Whereas if you're a little bit more mellowed out, you got that three-day weekend every week, maybe you're not going to get as sick. So that was interesting. The fact that he's saying people are taking fewer sick days. Now, Jay Jay Richards, who's the co-founder of Imogen Insights, he's not ready to jump on board with a four-day work week. I think a four-day week sounds good in principle, but in practice, how many companies are going to be able to actually support employees' well-being if they're going from having a normal five-day week and then cramming that down into four days? We do a five-day week, but we work 10 to four. So we shorten the days, um, and that means that the employees get to have that work-life harmony, but they're not actually shortening their week. And this experiment is going on all over the world. This month, the Scottish government launched a four-day working week trial for some public services. They're experimenting with this in Spain. They're experimenting with this in all sorts of different private businesses. Is this the future? Is the four-day work week the future? You know, this was one of the items that the UAW workers were asking for when they went out on strike. This was one of the few that they did not win in the recent strike. So as I understand it, they're still doing the five-day work week. But they were close. They could have, you know, they were very successful in that strike. And uh, I thought for a while that they might have gotten the four-day work week. They didn't, at least not now. But what does this hold for the future? There's a website. It's called 4dayweek.com, the number 4dayweek.com. And there's this group, 4-Day Week Global. And they are trying to make this a worldwide thing. They're trying to create a million new years of free time. And they're basically implementing consulting programs, pilot programs. They have a whole foundation that is geared towards one thing, transitioning workplaces to a four-day work week. And they say there's been a 36% increase in revenue over the previous year for companies that try this, a 42% decrease in employee resignations, a 68% reduction in burnout, 54% increase in workability, and 63% of businesses said they found it easier to attract talent. What do you think? 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Tony, with the understanding that radio is obviously a little bit different, what do you make of the idea of a four-day work week? I wouldn't knock it, you know, um... You know, 10 hours a day, you know, all three days after that, I'm with it. Well, so you're even saying you would like it working more hours. This four-day week global group, they're saying same amount of hours, just four days instead of five. I'll take it. You'll take it. Uh, But would you take it if you had a business? Would you want to do it if you had a business? No. No. You think it would have a decline on productivity. Interesting. Matt Blaze, where do you come down? I actually did it at one point where I did do a four-day work week working 10 hours a day. No, we're not counting like when you just on Fridays just don't work that hard. That that <laughs> still counts as working. Well, if we said that about you, Frank, it would be uh, two, three days out of the week. Yeah, please. Uh, I will hold my uh, my work ethic up to any talk show host in America. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I did it, and then I actually I was the only one doing it, and it made me feel guilty because someone else had to pick up the slack of me not being there. Why were you on the only Friday. one doing it? Well, at the time, my my boss, the owner, he was like, because I wanted a DJ, and he was like, "Oh, are you really into that?" He goes, well, "How about we, you know, you could work ten hour days, 
four days a week. And I was like, okay. I jumped at it, and then I did it for a few months, and it did make me feel a little guilty, and then they were just like, yeah, it's kind of not fair to everybody else, and I understood it, so I didn't really care when I had it. See, I don't think that works, right? I I don't think it works to say, all right, only Matt Blaze gets to work (laughs) four days a week. Everyone else has to work five days. I think it's got to be something that everybody does or that that no one does. If it didn't, if it doesn't affect productivity— and it raises productivity, like studies suggest, then why not? Yeah, I just wonder if the people doing these studies are the people pushing this four-day work week for other reasons. You know, you see this a lot with polls, but you also see it with studies. If you know what result you want to get, it's very easy to get there. The way you ask the question, the way you handle the research. You know, I think it was Harry S. Truman who used to say, there's lies, damn lies, and statistics. I, I, I'm, I'd li- I'm curious. Now, look, uh, this is why I found this interesting, which is why I wanted to do the story. The fact that these businesses in the U.K., so many of them are making this permanent, I think that is an indication that this is working for at least a lot of them. I'm skeptical when it comes to this uh, this idea, these groups that are pushing this are pointing out how the increase in productivity. Because, look, I understand that people are going to take fewer sick days, as that doctor mentioned. I, uh, that makes sense to me. I get that. But to Tony's point, right? I mean, how do you t- go from a 40-hour work week to a 32-hour work week and then not have some decline in productivity? Again, Maybe it depends on the industry. I can see, you know, my wife is a, a writer, uh, and I could see in her workplace it working because I think, you know, a lot of the time by the end of the week she just gets frustrated dealing with people, doing things. It's, it's a different element. Obviously, she's working from home, so she's got the frustrations of uh, being a, a wife and, and mother to deal with on top of the workplace. But I think she would get just as much done, honestly, if she worked four days versus five, and I think she'd be a lot happier. Not that she's unhappy, don't misunderstand me. But I, um, when it comes to something like like radio, that doesn't make sense, right? I mean, if um, it would not be the same level of productivity if I was doing 16 hours a week of shows instead of 20. I mean, by definition, it's 20% less. So uh, maybe a one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work, But I'm curious to see where this goes and where we go from here. Let me tell you where we are going from here. Um, Last year was a record year for casinos. Casinos did an incredible amount of business last year. Why? Apparently, the people visiting these casinos have no concerns about the economy <clears throat> because there are no, they have no concerns at all about not putting their money in the slot machine. Is it just a function of more and more casinos? Or is there something else going on here? We're going to talk with one of my favorite analysts of gambling, Michael Traeger, coming up in, uh, in a little bit. We got, um, you know, we're on in Atlantic City, New Jersey, on Talk Radio 1400 WOND, one of the great radio stations in America. Oh, by the way, next week, we have to play for you the audio of Craig Calloway, this guy that's been arrested for voter fraud. He just spoke at this Liberty and Prosperity event. We have the video. 
Jesse Waters also sent a team to videotape it because I guess I don't know if he played it, but I guess at Fox News they couldn't believe either that he was um, that, that that he was openly talking about this ballot harvesting operation. And I think Liberty and Prosperity had him because they want Republicans to learn from Democrats that are doing this. So next week, not only am I going to play for you the audio of Craig Calloway. I'm going to have the head of Liberty and Prosperity on, who's a conservative, explaining why he had this fellow that's been indicted for voter fraud at his event. I think it's going to be a really interesting discussion. I hope it is. Well, we'll see. But anyway, so we're on Atlantic City. We're on, on in Las Vegas on K-Dawn. We're on in Baltimore, where there's two great casinos. We're on WABC in New York, where there's all sorts of casinos within the sound of my voice. We're on in the Catskills, where there's a casino. There are casinos everywhere now. It used to be there were only two major hubs in America where you could go and gamble. Then they got the Indian casinos, then they got other things. Now they're everywhere. We're going to get into it with Michael Traeger in uh, just a little bit. 800-848-9222. JR is in Brooklyn. What do you make of this four-day work week, JR? So uh, the, the police department has a real funny schedule where you rotate your days backwards. It's very hard to explain, but if you really want to see where the four-day four work week attitude is at, offer your employee Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday off. Because are you looking for a three-day weekend or a four-day work week? Well, I'm not necessarily looking for, for either. So what you're saying is you wouldn't see the uptick in productivity if the day off was in the middle of the week. Correct. I literally, so many city employees are literally a walking, uh, you know, a uh, uh, walking result of it. Hey, good news, you're off on Wednesday and Thursday this week. So when... And you wh- don't, it's... When you see want a three-day work weekend. When you see cops that have that schedule, that day off in the middle of the week, do, what's the effect on them? Well, it's, it's like you said, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Mm-hmm. You, you can get all your shopping done. No one's online in front of you if you're off on Wednesday. You can get a haircut and go clothes shopping. It only takes you two hours instead of doing it on a Sunday where it takes you, you know, five hours. There are some benefits to it, but it's not – that doesn't really apply to a, let's say, a, a nine-to-five or a nine-to-five style uh, job. Well, hey, Jr., thank you. Um, there you go. So, I mean, I do wonder, you know, I, I don't know how many of these four-day workweek experiments are of the three-day weekend variety and how many have a day off in the middle of the week. That would be interesting to learn. I don't know. Uh, Tony is in Florida. What do you think of the idea of a four-day workweek? Well, I, too, was a cop, and um, we had chiefs that were constantly changing us from 12-hour days, so we had two days on and two days off, and I hated those because on your first day off, you were so exhausted from working 24 hours in two days that you did a lot of sleeping, and so you really kind of only got one day off, but the 10-hour work shift, we could pick out whichever days off we wanted. And most people want it weekends, but I liked weekdays off because you could get stuff done. You could after appointments, right. go shopping, you do whatever you want. So I really liked the 10-hour work week when I could pick the days off that I wanted, which was during the week. Well, do you think this would work if it were implemented in broader society, the idea of a transition to a four-day work week? 
if it's the kind of business where they don't have to like be open five days a week, like say a doctor's office or something, if it's a business that uh, can get their work done in four days, they save money on electricity if they close Friday, all kinds of things they're going to save money on. Um, when we're working the 10 hour days, you save money from the gasoline driving that extra day, uh, whatever you got to pay for lunch, if you have any tolls you need to pay. So you save money too. And so does the company. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what the defenders of this practice are saying, that it saves a lot of these companies overhead. 800-848-9222. Frankie and Highlands, what do you think? Yeah. You know, um, the five day week is eight hours, um, eight hours uh, work, eight hours uh, sleep and eight hours of your own time. And, uh, and it's very fair. And then the weekend, two days a week, I mean, you're only working uh, 188 days a year. And then you add like vacations, you add uh, holidays and everything else. So I think it, it is very human five days a week, nine to five. But I see in the future where it's three and three, where they're full-time jobs, three days a week for two different individuals, the same job. So that more people work because of the population that we're uh, that we're gaining, and um, that's that's my opinion. Uh, thank you, Frankie. Joaquin is in Pennsylvania. Hi, Joaquin. Hey, Frank. All right, actually, all right. I got a perspective on this. I'm a guy, and uh, my wife stayed home with the kids. We had four kids, and I used to work around the clock. I had two full time jobs doing garbage and demolition. I've been a truck driver where. I used to stay awake for days at a time until I was hallucinating. So what I'm going to say is this. For a blue-collar guy, I think the best schedule is to work two days and have a day off in the middle and then work two more days and have your weekend Uh, because then your productivity is up because your your body, Mm. towards the middle of the week, you start to really drag, you know, and so your last couple days of the week are just hell. But if you had a day to recuperate in the middle of the week, it would make life a whole hell of a lot better. Well, that makes sense, actually, Joaquin. I, I buy that. So do you think this idea of a four-day work week is something that could take off? Yes, without a doubt. I mean, look, at most of my jobs I've worked, I, I, Frank, I, 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 like I said, I've worked around the clock. And as a truck driver now with the hours or whatever, you still can be forced to work 14 hours a day, okay? So to have a day off in the middle of this, and I, I like what I do. You know, but I get really tired. I mean, I'm an old guy. I'm in my 60s, you know, and I got all kinds of problems. But, yes, a day to recharge in the middle of the week would be fantastic. Yeah, I I could see that, you know, Joaquin. I I think, yeah, actually, that's a a pretty fair point. Uh, Well said, uh, Joaquin. Thank you. And we're going to talk with Michael Traeger about gambling coming up in just a minute. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Nick is in Minnesota listening on WCCO. Nick, what do you think about all this? I don't think it should be a one-size-fits-all situation because first of all i'm blind you know in other words i can't see so imagine if i had some medical issues where i had to go to urgent care and they said oh sorry we're not open uh you know and it's like okay how am i going to get you know my medical needs (laughs) well no obviously there are some entities police 
hospitals, I would add radio probably, fire department mm-hmm. that need to be open seven days a week. I, I guess maybe yeah. the idea would be the staff would be staggered. Rather than work five days, they would work four, and that would affect their rotation somehow. Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Good idea, yeah. I hope you do another open line show again, because if you do, I'd like to talk to you about disability rights sometime. Well, let's do that, Nick. We'll, we'll plan on it soon. Th- spread the word out there right. for, uh, for us in Minnesota. We're new to the market, so we need your help. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Uh, Joe is in the Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, Frank. Uh, the, look at the David Knight show. Uh, today, uh, UK, they're going after journalists in the UK, uh, David Nitro podcast. But on this, I, I'd say if you had a staff, a big corporation, you could go, uh, a group of people would do Monday through Thursday, another group would do Tuesday through Friday. And because time is a huge commodity for people that they want, it is a pretty good recruitment thing, a four day, four and retention for employees. Another thing is I think uh, people can kind of rest their head, and that could be something. Resting your head could be doing something. It could be an intense study program, and then people are taking courses, and they need time for courses as well. You know, it's interesting. In radio, years ago, the standard among both DJs and talk show hosts was to work six days a week. Every major morning show host in every major market would work six days a week. And then gradually, the the thing became five days a week. And uh, I wonder if, um, I don't know, I wonder if we'll get to a point where it'll be four days a week. Some people that are sort of half-retired already do the four-day-a-week a thing. I remember when Bill Bennett was on the radio, he was only doing four days a week. I think Howard Stern may even just do three days a week. It's, he's certainly uh, not doing five. So, I mean, uh, I guess, you know, uh, the common... Yeah, yeah Frank. Yeah. I think people are overall more incentivized if they it's in some cases like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, if a person has more things they're into, their overall sense of being uh, rewarded and incentivized towards a reward could increase because there's other rewards besides money. Yeah. Oh, no doubt about it. Absolutely. I, to me, time is much more valuable than money. You know, I, I go back and think about when before I had a child when I thought I had no time and then I think who was that guy what was I spending all my time doing <laughs> I said what I wouldn't give to trade places with him for two days and be able to catch up on some things all right uh, we're going to talk gambling and why it was such a record year for casinos all over the country with Michael Traeger straight ahead the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Bright light said it gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn, so get those stakes up higher. 
There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there. They're all living the devil may care. And I am just a devil with love to spare. So Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. How I wish that there were more than the 24 hours in the day. Elvis Presley singing Viva Las Vegas. We are very proud to be heard every morning on K-Dawn in Las Vegas, one of the great radio stations in our country with a great history in Las Vegas. And there were some really interesting numbers regarding gambling, and I think this affects not only Las Vegas but the whole country. Namely, U.S. casinos won $66.5 billion last year. It was their best year ever, ever. As gamblers clearly showed no economic fear. Here to help us break this down is uh, one of my favorite people to talk gambling with, Michael Traeger. He is a luxury travel and casino gaming industry entrepreneur with TravelZork.com. Michael, it's great to talk to you. It's been too long. Yes, it's great to talk to you, too. How are you doing? Uh, Have you been to Atlantic City recently? Not since uh, December 31st, but I am uh, returning at the latest uh, in uh, April, I think April 13th for a bachelor party. I'm hoping to make a trip before then, but um, I think I only have $50 in my checking account, so I'm probably going to wait until that April 13th trip. Okay, that sounds that sounds like a plan. Right. But you know what? Fifty fifty dollars in a dream, right? Exactly. Like maybe a dream about Baccarat. Twenty six <laughs> in a row. Twenty twenty six players in a row. I, I've it had could... that dream. I've had that dream. And uh, uh, funny enough, reality never seems to uh, match up with that, Michael. All right. Hey, um, so what? Be, beyond the top line number that I just gave, sixty six and a half billion dollars, and the fact that this was supposedly the best year ever for casinos. What do the numbers say about gambling in America these days, and specifically last year? Yeah, uh, well, I think the most I think the most interesting thing is when we look outside of Nevada and we look at the the four highest performing properties in in the country outside of Nevada, which start with number one, which most people probably wouldn't guess, which is Resorts World, New York City. Which is the Genting property in Queens? Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Resorts World in New York City is the number one performing property outside of Nevada. Yes. Wow, I never would have guessed that. Now, when you look at the numbers, they're all rather close. So, outside of Nevada, their their total revenue numbers were for twenty twenty three nine hundred million, which is a twenty percent increase year over year. That's followed by MGM National Harbor, which is $800 million, which is about a 15% increase. So we call that Washington, D.C. area. Then we have Encore Boston Harbor, which is $700 million, uh, which is also a 15% year-over-year increase. What's so interesting, what's very interesting about certain markets is like Encore Boston Market, pretty much so is almost the totality of Massachusetts gaming. Whereas Borgata Atlantic City, which is number four, though my figures show it's very, very, it's almost neck and neck with Encore Boston Harbor. So it's around that 700 million Hmm. uh, number. But the Atlantic City market is actually five point, you know, about 5.75 billion. So it's sort of interesting when you compare 
pro, you know, so Encore is basically it for Massachusetts, you know, for Massachusetts gaming. But mm -hmm. when you look at now, when we break it down and we say Nevada is the nation's top gambling market, that's about 15 and a half billion in revenue. But it's followed by, and this has been for quite a few years, and a lot of people don't realize this, Pennsylvania is number two, which is 5.86 billion. And then followed by Atlantic City, which is 5.77 billion. And then New York, which is 4.71, then Michigan and Ohio and Louisiana. So that's sort of, so it's really interesting to look at the top four yeah. properties outside of Nevada. And then when you look at the other markets, it's Pennsylvania, Atlantic City, New York, you know, are, are basically on top. So I think that's also super interesting. And of course, you know, one of our favorites, Borgata is on that list. I mean, they're all very close because for the top four properties outside of Nevada, you're between 900, 900, 800, 700 million. So they're all, they're, they're all, I would say, you know, relatively close. So uh, Michael, obviously you go to casinos all over the world, you travel all over the world and you, you get a sense of what's going on in a lot of these various places. Well, let's talk about the aggregate number, about about the $66.5 billion, this being the best year for casinos ever. Let me ask you the question that a lot of people are probably asking. Why? Is it a function of people having money to burn? Is it a function of uh, casinos being exceptionally lucky these days? Or is it a function of there being so many casinos these days? What has contributed to this being a record year for casinos taking in money? Well, Las Vegas Las Vegas claims that it's it's basically continued or Nevada it's continued demand for gaming at least that's what the gaming control board says and special events and you could sort of understand that when you look at especially when you look at the Las Vegas market because of F1 the lead up to Super Bowl all the things like the sphere and all of the residencies like U2 and also an uptick in conventions so that sort of that sort of makes that sort of makes sense when it comes to when it comes to the other markets, I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone has an exact answer. And I, and I think actually most of this is surprising most people. And I haven't seen many people be able to pin it on one thing other than the fact that there is extreme demand for gambling. And we always knew that when, when you looked at the gambling figures from Atlantic City, which opened in 1979, and how Atlantic City, you know, revenues in Atlantic City for many, many years exceeded gaming revenues on the Las Vegas Strip, when you only had two places you could gamble in the country, which was Atlantic City and, and Las, you know, and the state of Nevada. So... I, I think this is, I think this is, to me, trend-wise, it looks the same, except now Atlantic City isn't the only game in town, mm -hmm. but you've got Boston, Atlantic, Atlantic City, and Washington, D.C., if you look at the, you know, look at the geographic areas, and then while not the largest property, you know, not one of the top four properties outside of Nevada, uh, not one of the top four properties, Pennsylvania is the number two is the number two market. So basically, look at the look at the East Coast. So that's 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 sort of interesting. I can't necessarily answer it, but to me, it's you know concentration of money and mm. interest in gambling. You know more even more so than anywhere else. More so than anywhere else in the country.
You know, I mentioned my surprise that uh, the number one uh, number one gambling property outside of uh, outside of Nevada was Resorts World in uh, in Queens. What about these numbers, if anything, surprised you? Was it the East Coast factor that you just mentioned, or was there anything else that jumped out of you that made you raise your eyebrows and go, hmm? Well, the other the other thing that that you have to realize now too is that you know when you're looking at these these total revenue numbers, you're you're including sports betting and you're including online gambling, and that's and that's changed the market quite a bit. So I think you even though the brick and mortar business is doing really, really well, you have a lot more than that. And sports betting has absolutely contributed to an increase in gambling. And maybe, you know, and maybe somebody in a couple of years from now, when they analyze 10 years worth of data, will say that the interest in sports betting has driven more interest in brick and mortar and other casino gambling. So that's sort of interesting because remember the marketing all ties in together, right? right? Right, right. <laughs> you know, no, that's, no. So, I mean, and I don't think, I think, I, you know, I don't think anyone's really completely sure yet, other than people really like to gamble and it's not taboo. And people like to gamble. The other thing, and we learned this from Atlantic City early on, people like to gamble close to home. <laughs> the Speaking of that, one of the things that I found interesting, and I'm sure the legalization of digital mobile sports betting plays into this. The New York Daily News is reporting that New Yorkers are the most avid sports bettors in the nation. Now, understanding that a lot more people are going to be doing it now that it's legal in New York and now that you have the digital option to do it, it was still a little surprising to me that uh, New York was ahead of everywhere else. I mean, what is it about New York sports fans that they love to bet? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I you know, I think we're not, I, 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 I don't think anyone's really completely sure about this. Also, remember it's new. There's also the uh-huh, new factor. the novelty. Sure. So part of that, you know, part of part of the interesting thing about sports betting is when it comes into a new market, you know, a combination of the promotions and the combination of it being so easy to do. I mean, I think the other the other thing that's really interesting is that you've always traditionally had a lot of people, you know, you always had a lot of people who were betting sports illegally, but then you had those who, who weren't willing to do that. And now all of a sudden that they have the option that that sort of adds to the market too. So that's, that's sort of interesting to, to look at, right? Because you're grabbing a portion of the market that was illegal sports betting and bringing sure. it into the legal market. And then you have the people who, who wouldn't have done it before, but now it's legal and they can do it on an app and they feel, you know, they feel it's legit. So that's, that's also, that's also really, really interesting. We're talking with Michael- I mean, sports betting is up 27 over 27%. From the prior year. And, you know, one of the things that we studied a great deal and talked about a great deal during football season is the record NFL ratings. I think there's absolutely a correlation between the legalization of sports betting and the uptick in NFL viewership because I find, I think now you're seeing a lot of people that may have money on the games watching games that they never would have had an interest in before. And uh, I think that's certainly playing a role. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Michael Traeger. He is a uh, luxury travel and casino gaming industry entrepreneur with travelzork.com travelzork is a great website there's uh, all sorts of tips on there great articles he's got a great podcast himself michael uh, you mentioned a couple of the individual properties that did well 
Were there any companies that stood out as doing particularly well? There's some big gaming companies out there. Obviously, you have um, you know you have uh, companies like MGM, which are just global. Uh, you have uh, smaller companies that um, you know that are kind of making a name for themselves, like Bally's. What uh, what could we tell from the trend lines when it came to company wide, nationwide revenue numbers? All of the companies are reporting, you know, record, record years. Mm. And the most interesting thing to me about it is that even with the cyber attacks, that doesn't seem to have have impacted, you know, MGM as much as you thought it would have. But for for sure, Win has Win has had a absolutely phenomenal, massive record breaking, uh, especially the fourth. Uh, fourth quarter so that's uh, you know absolutely incredible and everything about you know what's going on you know what's going on with win las vegas is incredible including their including their average daily hotel room rate which i i caught upon this figure from the uh, earnings call in february it just was just this month that their the average daily room rate in the fourth quarter was 631 dollars Wow, in Las Vegas, which is twenty, it's a it was close to a thirty percent increase over twenty twenty two's average daily. You kidding? Well, I am I am blown away by that number. Obviously, Wynn has some beautiful properties, uh, but uh, I had no idea that that would be the average th- in this day and age. That is incredible. Hey, since last we spoke, I know you had a trip to uh, Atlantic City. Where, where'd you play? How'd you do? First time I've stayed and played at uh, Hard Rock because a very good friend uh, hooked me up and convinced me to do it. And he actually got a private Baccarat table for us to play at, which I could play at whatever limit I wanted to because I don't regularly play at those kind of tables. And I was super impressed by Hard Rock Atlantic City. Did you win? I I actually won at Baccarat, but I didn't win it craps Um, i i was super impressed the craps table minimums were were great the property has amazing has amazing vibe i loved the restaurants at hard rock so i'm sort of so i'm still you know i've always been very very sweet on borgata but i i just love i love what they've done with the renovation there and i've been meaning to stay at hard rock forever so well i I, think i might be going back there i like hard rock a lot to stay one because it's so conveniently located on the boardwalk it's near everything i also like the restaurants but you mentioned the craps one of the things that i don't like at least at the tables that I've played at there, is they don't offer five times odds on all the numbers. And I really feel like I'm being kind of gypped. Well, I, I know uh, people don't like to use that term anymore. I feel like I'm being cheated when I, I can only play three or four times odds on some of the numbers. Well, that's, a, well, that's, the, that's definitely a Borgata thing because Atlantic City has always been five times. Right. Borgata... Borgata is uh, Borgata went with what what they do for MGM with the rest of the country, which is the three, four, five right. times. I, odds. I mean, I think it's absurd. At Bally's, I think they give you up to ten times odds, which uh, which is great, but it's also a way to lose money quickly. Um, well, well, the other the other question is, are you really taking the full five times? And that's it. Only impacts the people who are taking the five. I think it's foolish to begin with. I think all casinos should be five times or ten times. Oh, odds. no doubt, be- no doubt, no doubt. But, um, but uh, I'm, I'm glad you had a good experience there. I love uh, Il Molino. That's my favorite restaurant over there. I, a, a listener wrote me uh, before you were coming on 
that he used to regularly in Las Vegas go to the Stardust and that uh, K-Dawn, a station in Vegas that we're being heard on now, they would do a live radio show from there every Sunday evening from the Stardust Sportsbook. Uh, can you give us a little history of the of the Stardust in Las Vegas and why that stands out as being so special in so many people's minds? Well... Rosenthal basically created, you know, created the sports book concept that you have today. That's one of the number one things that the Stardust is known for. Actually, two things that that I would say that come to mind that the Stardust was known for is the fact that the modern, basically what you envision as the modern sports book was pretty much so developed at Stardust. And the other thing is that Baccarat was really great at Stardust, and the first female Baccarat dealer was mm. at Stardust, which was a, and I was able to catch her for the final years at the Stardust, and her name was uh, Shirley, and she was trained by Lefty Rosenthal at Stardust, and I always thought it was so interesting that she was the, the first female oh, Baccarat cool. dealer. That's cool. Yeah, people and, don't know, uh, Lefty Rosenthal is the basis for the Robert De Niro character in the film Casino. Uh, that's that's wild. I can't imagine. That must have been a real treat. Well, you know, he created his own, you know, I'm, inter- I'm curious about the broadcast because, you know, he created his own show, mm-hmm. you know, the Lefty Rosenthal show at the Stardust uh, when and they they talked a little bit about this in the movie, but when when basically the gaming the gaming board was coming down on him and he wasn't able to have they made him like the entertainment director because his gaming license wasn't getting approved and then he you know he created this other entertainment show. I mean, you can find old videos about it. It's it's pretty interesting. It, but, it's uh, it certainly is. Hey, um, uh, Michael, I always enjoy speaking with you. Let's do this again soon. Uh, hopefully, your next trip out east will be able to cross paths. I would love it. Yeah, and thank you for having me on. But this is definitely something I'm going to be paying attention to because I, I I'm really curious you know, what, you know, some of the underlying reasons more so than what we've mentioned, especially with uh, sports betting, but Hey, maybe, maybe it's just people really love to gamble and they're not afraid to say, and, and, <laughs> and, and they know, have we're the money, not afraid clearly. to show it anymore. Yeah. And they've got the money, I guess. All right. Hey, Michael, I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Take care. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, that's 800-848-9222. This is the other side of midnight straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. The Beatles back in the USSR. 
Uh, it was on this day in 1980 that the Miracle on Ice took place in Lake Placid, New York, as the U.S. Olympic hockey team upset the Soviets 4-3. to And the U.S. team, of course, went on to win the gold medal. Very, very exciting. <clears throat> and uh, look at where we are today. Look at how American and Russian relations have improved. Or have they? By the way, did you see uh, President Biden, because of Alexei Navalny, is going to be instituting more sanctions on Russia? Because, of course, all the sanctions that we've already implemented have proven so effective in getting Russia to change their behavior that uh, I'm sure some more sanctions will do the trick. All right. Hey, um, when I was uh, I was on I was on Twitter yesterday. And a lot of people have taken issue with my policy of eating unlabeled food from the refrigerator. And uh, James, um, you know, James Flippin, he basically tagged me in a in a tweet that he was putting a label on his food in the refrigerator with his name on it. And it says, don't get any ideas, Frank Moreno. I'm labeled and protected, which is great. Everybody should be labeling their food. This should not be a James Flippin thing. So anyway, I come in last night, and I see there's a plate of something with tinfoil over it, and then written on the tinfoil in black marker, I'll, put, I'll uh, show this on my Instagram, at Morano Vision. it says, Other Side of Leftovers for Frank Morano, and then it has today's date. Now, I don't know who left these leftovers, but, you know, I'm a little distrustful of something that was labeled without my... Uh, and by the way, if you want to see that image, you can do so at Morano Vision, M-O-R-A-N-O Vision, but um, on Instagram. But I'm a little distrustful of something that was left for me by someone I don't know without any communication from them at all. So I didn't need any of it because I don't know what people have put in it. There is, however, a large tray of leftover fried rice that I did have a scoop of, which was decent, I must say. It was pretty good. Um, Tony, Matt, do you guys know anything about that that labeled food in the refrigerator? First of all, we always get shafted on the <laughs> night shift. We never get the food. Well, we get this fried rice out there now. This. That fried rice has been sitting out there since 1 p.m. It looks disgusting. It's crusty. I would never eat that. I can't believe you did eat that. And, yeah, somebody leaves you a plate. They don't leave me a place. I offered it to you guys. I said you guys could have it. I don't want something no. that was left for you specifically. I, we want our yeah, own. It's probably poison. It probably is, which is why I'm offering it to you guys. <laughs> oh, so we're going to be the I, guinea pigs. Yeah, exactly. I want to see if you guys survive. <laughs> and then if you do, then it'll be safe for the rest of us to, to eat. So um, whoever left those leftovers for uh, for me, uh, try to consider Tony and Matt Blaze next time. But, uh, yeah, I'm not going to try any. It could be poison. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. So it, there is an irony that I feel comfortable eating unlabeled food, but not quite comfortable eating labeled food. I'm sure Freud would have a, a field day with that one. All right. <laughs> Your influence counts, so use it.
This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Other side of midnight. I'm superstar Frank Morano. One of the trends that's emerged in recent years is this trend of momfluencers, people that go on social media or on the YouTube, which I guess is a form of social media, and they give parenting advice and they tell you all sorts of different things. And you know, sometimes there's good advice. My wife sent me um, a video recently of a woman talking about how she tries to disgorge her toddler's tantrums when uh, when he has one, and or da- it was a daughter in the video, and she said, oh, we should try this the next time Carmine has a tantrum, and it's, it's good advice. We'll try it. But um, they're everywhere, these mom floors. One of the big ones was Ruby Frankie. Ruby Frankie would go on... The YouTube and give all sorts of parenting advice, including stuff like this. I know that her teacher is uncomfortable with her being hungry and not having a lunch. And it would ease her discomfort if I came to the school with a lunch. Um, but I, I responded and just said, Eve is responsible for making her lunches in the morning. And she actually told me she did pack a lunch. So the natural outcome is she's just going to need to be hungry. By the way, she's talking about her. So uh, wonderfully edited cut there. Thank you. The uh, So she had this YouTube channel called Eight Passengers in which she documented family life with her husband and their six children. Six children. Then in December, she pleaded guilty to four counts of aggravated child abuse news of her guilty plea came about three months after she and her business partner jody hildebrand were arrested and slapped with a whole slew of charges after frankie's malnourished 12 year old son you ready for this escaped from a window of hildebrand's home and showed up at a neighbor's door asking for food and water The neighbor called police, thank God. And uh, and the police, in their affidavit, described the boy as emaciated. He had open wounds, according to the cops, who I believe. He had open wounds on his body and duct tape wounds around his ankles and wrists. Investigators also found Frankie's 10-year-old daughter in Hildebrand's home similarly malnourished according to police both children appeared to be in her direct care with frankie's knowledge so at the time 
The children were taken to the hospital and put under the care of Utah's Department of Child and Family Services, along with their two minor siblings. Frankie and Hildebrand, meanwhile, were initially charged with six counts each of felony child abuse. In a statement following the arrests, the Washington County Attorney's Office in Utah accused both women of causing or permitting serious injury to the children via a combination of multiple physical injuries or torture, starvation, or malnutrition that jeopardizes life and causing severe emotional harm. Um, so ultimately, they uh, th- th- she's giving parenting advice while she's binding her children, while she's starving her children, while she's abusing and, I think, torturing her children. But the viewers of her YouTube channel, Eight Passengers, that's what it was called, they had accused Frankie of child abuse long before she was taken into custody. Because, it look, you heard her describing how her child's teacher wanted to meet with her because she was sending her to school without lunch. Because she said, oh, my daughter's responsible for her own lunch. Now, I'm okay with, you know, giving your children some responsibility for their own actions, Starving your children is not at all okay. The viewers knew there was a problem. And if this child hadn't run away to the neighbor begging for food, who knows how long this would have continued. So they cited, the viewers, all the cruel parenting techniques that she described openly on her channel, like withholding food as punishment. News of this arrest last year was met with relief from her sisters, who are, are you ready for this? Also parenting influencers, Ellie Mecham, Julie Griffiths, Deru, and Bonnie Holine, who said in a joint Instagram account statement that the arrests needed to happen. Frankie's eldest and estranged daughter, Shari, shared a similar sentiment on social media. Finally, she wrote on an Instagram story on August 30th after her mom's arrest. This is what she said. Me and my family are so glad justice is being served. As part of the plea plea agreement, Frankie agreed to testify against Hildebrand. And now it looks like she is getting a sentence of no um, no more than 30 years. That's the maximum permissible under state law. Here is Miss Frankie in court yesterday or the day before. I've lost track of the days of the week, apologizing for what she said occurred. I would like to make a statement without any intent to change my stipulated sentence. For the past four years, I've chosen to follow counsel and guidance that has led me into a dark delusion. My distorted version of reality went largely unchecked as I would isolate from anyone who challenged me. I was led to believe that this world was an evil place filled with cops who control, hospitals that injure, government agencies that brainwash, church leaders who lie and lust, husbands who refuse to protect, and children who need abused. My choice to believe and behave this paranoia culminated into criminal activity for which I stand before you today ready to take accountability. Jody Hildebrandt 
was never my business partner, nor was I ever employed by her. I have never received wages from her or connections. Jody was employed as my son's counselor in 2019, and in 2020 I paid her to be my mentor. It is important to me to demonstrate my remorse and regret without blame. I take full accountability for my choices, and it is my preference that I serve a prison sentence. Couple of things about this were interesting. One is I, I honestly don't know how anybody could do this to a child, let alone multiple children. I just don't know. The the abuse that she put these children through goes far beyond starving them, which would be enough. She would force them to do very arduous physical tasks in extreme heat, without shoes, without socks, without water. They would be forced to stand on hot concrete in the summer heat for hours, sometimes days at a time. They were beaten and regularly bound by their hands and their feet. The injuries were so severe that these children required hospitalization. Had the older children not had the courage to run away and ask the neighbor to call police, who knows where they'd be today? And she was documenting this. I don't know that she documented every detail, but she documented enough on social media. So a couple of things strike me about this. One, how many of these other, I don't even know what you want to call this, tough love momfluencers are out there on YouTube right now raising concerns about how they're treating their children and should the authorities be involved in some of those? I don't know. Two, that statement she made in court I found so interesting. Because she talks about being, essentially, she didn't use the term, but essentially being brainwashed into believing the world is a dangerous place, a terrible place, the cops are corrupt, the hospitals hurt you, everybody's out to get you. And I have to tell you, I don't know if it's something about overnight radio where the people that listen tend to, you know, be on a different schedule at the very least than the rest of the world or whether it's the people that call who tend to need someone to talk to or not everybody, but a a significant percentage or they're lonely. But I have been blown away at some of the calls that I've gotten on the radio over the last four years, especially, but even the last 10, but especially these last four of people that view the world similarly to Miss Frankie. People that believe the world is an evil place, that everybody is out to get them, that um, that the world is dangerous. I listen to, I go out there in the world every day, I think the world's a pretty great place. And then I hear people calling into the radio and describing a world that I don't recognize. And I just wonder how many other people are living the kind of delusional existence that Miss Frankie is living or was living. I find it really bizarre. If you want to comment, you uh, I'd be curious to get your take. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. She did express remorse and she said she took full accountability 
for the choices that uh, that she made. You know, I'm not a big advocate of putting people in prison. I think the only people that should really be in prison are folks that hurt people, right? This is someone who is tailor-made, as far as I'm concerned, for being in prison. This is someone who has done a lot of damage. And do you think her six kids are going to be able to turn off this abuse like a light switch and go on and live a normal life? No, this kind of abuse is going to be with them. For for starters, it may be physically with them forever, but psychologically and emotionally, do you know the difficulty that this is going to lead to in terms of them having relationships later in life, relationships with friends, with authority figures, romantic relationships. The damage that she has done to her children is extraordinary. And I hope she does serve three decades in prison, as does uh, Miss Hildebrand, because as far as I can tell, this is just evil. Absolutely evil. And her estranged husband, Kevin, has filed for guardianship over their uh, teen daughter as the younger kids remain in state custody. So we'll see where that goes. I just don't know how anybody can do this to a child, let alone multiple children. 800-848-9222. She would call her children on the show, on the YouTube channel, her six little chicks. And she would call herself a mama duck. And according to the media reports, um, the mama duck did apologize to her six little chicks uh, in court yesterday. And she says she's not going to appeal. So maybe she is serious about taking some responsibility for what she did here. I find this to be horribly egregious uh comment uh, if you like 800-848-9222 800-848-9222 the the other issue involving uh parenting which i uh, think is um similarly odd although by no means in the same ballpark as what this woman did is what's going on in alabama by now i'm sure you've heard about it there's been a ruling by the alabama supreme court where they've ruled essentially that frozen embryos have all the rights of people. And now doctors and patients are already rethinking fertility treatments after the Alabama Supreme Court ruled last week that frozen embryos should receive legal protections as unborn life. The University of Alabama at Birmingham paused in vitro fertilization treatments, citing the potential that our patients and our physicians could be prosecuted criminally or face punitive damages for following the standard of care. And medical professionals throughout the state are questioning whether they'll need to overhaul their approach to IVF, most likely in ways that could make it riskier, more expensive, and more painful for women that are trying to conceive. If you're not up on this... The Alabama Supreme Court ruled Friday that frozen embryos are legally children, making it a crime to destroy those embryos. This is a dangerous ruling, a dangerous ruling. Doctors performing IVF typically to try to retrieve as many eggs as possible. They fertilize them and then transfer a fertilized egg back into the patient. And the rest are kept frozen. Because it often takes more than one transfer to get pregnant. And the frozen embryos are also there if the patient decides to, um, you know, have more children later. 
under the current Alabama ruling, patients nor physicians nor IVF labs are going to be willing to have frozen embryos. So we're going to see what other conservative states do if they follow Alabama's lead on this. But uh, I think this is potentially something that's going to hurt a lot of families that are looking to conceive through IVF because it's going to make IVF more expensive and less widely available. You know whose children were conceived through IVF? Mike Pence. Mike Pence's children were conceived through IVF. Imagine, and I'd be curious, I don't know if he's weighed in on this, but Nikki Haley has. She says she understands it. She uh, told NBC News, embryos to me are babies. And when you talk about an embryo, you're talking about to me, that's a life. And so do I see that's where they're coming from when they talk about that. I think this is, uh, I think this is terrible, honestly. I know many couples, including some in my family, actually, that have had children through IVF. And, I mean, they don't live in Alabama, and I, they don't live in states where this is likely to occur. But if it did, and you got to the point where more people would pause IVF treatment, I think that would be a shame. The couples that I know that went through this, it costs a fortune. I, I don't know that, uh, you know, that, that we could have gone through it, my wife. And I don't, I don't know that we have the money because sometimes your insurance covers, sometimes you don't. And... um I think this is just a disastrous ruling. So I'm curious if um, President Trump's going to say anything in response because he's been one of the people that have said publicly that the Republicans have gone too far on the abortion issue and it's hurt them in the election. So I'm wondering if, and I hate to boil this down to a political issue, but I'm wondering if he's going to come out and say uh, that no, Alabama's gone too far. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Rod is in Pennsylvania. Hi, Rod. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Morning. My comment is uh, there are a lot of adults, and I call them adults, quotations, that should not breed. Just Caucasians? Huh? Just Caucasians? No, should not breed. Right, okay. It sounded like you said Caucasians, though. No, no. Unfortunately, there are people who should not breed. And if you want to adopt a child, and I don't know if you know anybody who has experience with this, but I do, the classes and the tests and the things you have Mm. to go through is unbelievable. And yet this stuff happens. And, you know, it's just crazy. I agree with you. I mean, um, and I don't really know what the solution is, Rod. Rod, thanks for the call. But it's just, uh, to me, it's uh, abysmal, uh, atrocious, evil is is the only word that comes to mind when somebody would do this to their children. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. You know, I'm significantly older than my siblings, who are technically half-siblings. And I still think of when my brother Alexander was about five years old one time and I was a teenager and we were somewhere we were you know in a swimming pool somewhere or on vacation and he was being really bratty really difficult and uh, I grabbed his wrist very hard and and pulled him away from whatever he wasn't supposed to be doing in part because he wasn't supposed to be doing it and in part because I was frustrated that he w- wouldn't stop misbehaving and whining. And I, and I heard him, you know, for uh, you know, a minute. I heard him 
when I grabbed his wrist so hard. And he said to me, he turned to me and said, Frankie, why did you do that? That so broke my heart that decades later, that sticks with me. I'm almost traumatized from that incident of my little brother saying, Frankie, why did you do that? And that to think something that I did hurt him. And I've told my brother Alex this story many times over the years. He doesn't remember it. But, uh, but I do. And I play that scene out all the time in my head. And I just can't imagine how a parent, that was just a brother, I can't imagine how a parent can be at the point where they will actually starve their children, make them stand on the concrete in the heat and do these arduous physical tasks for days on end and not have that sort of remorse and not have any sort of conscience where they where they think maybe they're not doing the right thing. I don't get it. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. You know, somebody wrote me, I believe it was Igor in New Jersey that first wrote me about this, that Jimmy Kimmel, who hosts the late night show on ABC, he is hinting that this is the final two years of his contract. And look, he's been on the air a while. It's hard to believe because he is still young looking and he does, you know, he started when he was young. But he has been on the air for 21 years in late night. And he admits every spring he thinks he might call it a day. But then after a little time away, he says he starts to miss the fun. Uh, here he is talking about how this might be the the end, his final two years here. Himmel's going to stay for a little while, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking it out. It is incredible that I'm still on the air. I uh, guess I learned on the job. You know, like if I was a pilot, the whole plane would have crashed. Well, that's, that's actually not uh, necessarily him hinting that he's going to leave, but he told the L.A. Times that I think this is my final contract. I hate to even say it because everyone's laughing at me now each time I think that, and then it turns out not to be the case. I still have a little more than two years left on my contract, and that seems pretty good. That seems like enough. That's what he said. And basically, you know, he did this podcast during the writer's strike with Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Fallon, Seth Meyers, and John Oliver, and he said that he'd considered leaving before. As you know, I was very intent on retiring right around the time where the strike started. And now I realize like, oh, yeah, it's kind of nice to work. I, I mean, you, you know, when you are working, you think about not working. Are we to take you at your word that you were you were seriously considering this? I really was. I think I told you that privately, right? And so apparently he's seriously thinking about it. So Igor wrote me. And says, this is your chance, meaning my chance, meaning I should look to succeed Jimmy Kimmel in two years. Now, it would be fun to do a late night uh, TV show. I enjoy the late night medium quite a bit. But uh, I'm first and foremost a a radio guy. However, I really don't think that I'd ever be seriously considered by a network like ABC, which is owned by Disney, Disney. Because of all of the crazy things that I say on a daily basis and that I've said over the years, I mean, in this day and age, you could really just take what I've said on any issue. I'm, and, uh, you know, I'm not at all politically correct. I don't um, 
you know, I, I don't toe the ABC party line on many of the key issues that they value these days. And I think basically if the corporate people didn't run from that, I think a lot of the advertisers would. And, you know, honestly, not that Jimmy Kimmel had any name recognition before he started. Basically, he was the co-host of The Man Show and the sidekick on uh, Win Ben Stein's Money. But I think now he's built this into something, a major franchise. I don't think that... Um, I don't. I don't think they would give it to someone like me. I think they'd probably want to pick someone with a little bit more name recognition. So, um, you know, I don't know. But I appreciate the thought. And if you think it's a good idea, feel free to write to the folks at ABC and um, and encourage them to, uh, you know, to consider me. All right. Um, this person wrote me on Twitter saying, "I'm not sure if Frankie Ruby herself did any real chargeable physical abuse." She was somewhat strict slash abusive, but not to the extent that she could possibly be prosecuted in court. It was the other lady that she sent her kids to live at where the extreme abuse happened. And it could be she wasn't aware of the abuse that was happening there. I'm not defending the mother, but she wasn't the one where the main abuse happened. I believe she was most she was charged mostly with neglect. Yeah, I, I really part company with you. Um, first of all, if that's the case, if your children are being abused, the fact that you don't know about it, I think is uh, not a sufficient excuse at all. Um, but to me, it does sound like she knew about it. I mean, she's bragging about the fact that, uh, that her children were going to school without any lunch. And she's saying that that's her responsibility, the daughter's responsibility. So, no, I, I don't accept that at all. I don't think you're right. I respectfully disagree. Uh, you're welcome to comment 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Robert is in Suffolk. What's on your mind, Robert? Hi, Frank. Man, that woman is a sadistic sociopath. I agree with you. She ducked into kids to keep them prisoner. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. That's what the duct tape was for. So they couldn't escape. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think it gets much worse than this, Robert. Oh, my God. You notice that there is not one drop of emotion in her voice? I did notice that. Yeah, it's, I mean, she sounds almost like a robot. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I cannot feel anything for this woman. She feels nothing. That's that's the hallmark of someone who is mentally and emotionally disturbed. Yeah, I concur with you, Robert. I think, um, look, uh, like I said, I don't root for anybody to go to prison. This is someone that I am glad is going to be uh, locked away from other human beings for the foreseeable future. Robert, thank you. 800-848-9222. We are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash MoranoFan. And you can join our Facebook group. In addition to participating in discussions about the show, we post all the music that we play there each and every 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 day uh, so you can uh, just search Morano radio fans and haters and we will uh, you'll see the music every morning that we've played during the show Larry is in Pennsylvania hi Larry yeah Frank good morning uh, big fan of the show out here in Pennsylvania thank you and I heard you talking about the kids and parenting this morning just wanted to uh let you know a little saying that I heard from my mom, and uh, it couldn't be any truer. She uh, she said to me, "It takes a license to fish." 
but right. not to have children. Well, I mean, that <laughs> it's very true. And when you put it that way, it does uh, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, right? I mean, uh, I'm not sure what the solution is. I certainly wouldn't want couples appearing before some government board explaining why they're fit to be parents. It sounds like something that would happen in communist China. But when you put it that way, Larry, it certainly sounds like um, it certainly sounds like there's a, a problem with some of the people that choose to become parents these days. Bingo. And maybe always. Larry, thanks for the call and your uh, your nice words about the program. Gnome Layden is here. We'll talk with him about some of the other items in the news, uh, some other stories that you may have missed. We'll get into it straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. I used to visit all the very gay places, come what may places, where one relaxes on the axis of the will of life to get the feel of life. Jazz and cocktails The girls I knew had sad and sullen gray faces With distangue traces That used to be there you could see where they'd been washed away This is Lush Life by Billy Strayhorn This is a birthday bumper music selection from our friend Meryl Rosner, who is uh, not only a wonderful listener and a wonderful person, but a tremendous artist. In fact, I'm looking above Gnome Layden's desk right now, and he has a Meryl Rosner cartoon, a depiction of him above his desk right now. Happy birthday, Meryl. May your wishes come true today and always. And if your wish was for a little more Gnome Layden, congratulations. That wish has already come true. Stand by for the other side of Midnight's News. From New York City, the other side of Midnight and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Hello, no. Good morning, Frank. Household debt is reaching record highs, and more than 60% of Americans now today, this is a high number, are living paycheck to paycheck. It's one of the higher numbers that has been recorded in the last couple of decades, usually hovers in the 50% mark, but 60% is pretty high. So how about we solve this problem by paying people every single day? This is an idea that's been floated, and some corporations are starting to institute it here in the United States. Around the world, if you go to Europe and the U.K. today, there's a fair amount of companies that will pay you at the end of every single day. That money will be transferred into your account, just like it is now every two weeks. The thought here is if Americans are struggling so much to live paycheck to paycheck and they fall behind on credit cards, they have a hard time paying for the groceries, filling the gas tank, why not give them their pay? at the end of every single day. And the other thought is, you know, what Americans are doing now in record numbers are they're taking these payday loans 
because they can't wait those two weeks. It's so long from paycheck to paycheck that they go to these loan companies that are just really horrendous, charge incredibly high interest, but you get that instant money in your bank account, a couple thousand dollars maybe, but then you end up paying like $5,000 for that $1,000 loan. So one way to get rid of those vultures is to pay people every day. So Walmart has started doing this. They offer it. Amazon's doing it as well. If you work for either of those companies and you say, hey, I want that pay at the end of the day, it'll show up in your bank account. Now, will it expand to other companies? It hasn't really taken off, but workers are asking for it. They're saying, hey, I am having a hard time filling the gas tank. Inflation's really hitting me hard. Pay me at the end of the day. I would think, though, that, I mean, that's interesting, and I haven't heard of this, but I would think that if you, uh, let's say, have to pay your rent and make a mortgage payment, then it would involve, if you'd opted for this daily payment process, you would have to squirrel away a little bit of money each day to save right. in order to pay for your mortgage or your rent. Whereas people that get paid, say, every two weeks, they'll take their mortgage or their rent out of that. And I just wonder if maybe if there's inadequate budgeting if you're getting paid daily, if that would lead to more people falling behind on their rent or their mortgage. Well, no doubt that's part of the reason that uh, so many Americans have record debt level. They own the credit card company so much money because they're not very good at budgeting. Sure. But you have these other people who say, hey, even a quart of milk or filling my gas tank is really hard in between paychecks. So if you paid me every day, I wouldn't have those struggles. I'd be able to put my head on the pillow and fall asleep at night. Interesting. That is interesting. So we'll see if it expands. In the UK, by the way, uh, there 97% of the companies that have taken part in this daily pay say it's been hugely successful. And they say that their employees have this new sense of financial security. They feel good about it. So nobody's really saying huh. what you're saying, that maybe at the end of the month they find themselves in trouble that they can't pay that mortgage nugget or the rent Interesting, because they're getting paid every day. Okay, that's interesting. Have you ever wondered about this? Whenever you watch on TV the cops stopping a car, they'll pull up to the car, and you've seen these scenes, and maybe you've been stopped yourself and you've seen this by yourself. The police officer will walk up to the driver's side of the car, but the first thing that they do is touch the back of the car. Have you seen this before? I, I don't think I've noticed that. Look at any movie where there's a police stop. Mm -hmm. Invariably, you'll see this. The police officer touches the top back of the car, then walks up to the window, asks for the driver's license and the insurance information, and, you know, carries on with whatever's going on. So I was curious about this because I've been stopped, and I've seen this happen before I, for speeding <laughs> a few times. Mm -hmm. Touch the back of my car. I went, what the hell is that all about? So I did a little research and I found out that the reason they touch the back of the car is first thing is to make sure that the trunk is closed and that something's not about to happen to them. If someone's going to jump out of the trunk, tack them, something weird's going on in the trunk. So tap that back of the trunk, make sure it's closed. The other, actually, is to leave their fingerprints on the car and, and in case something really awful goes mm. wrong. Then you have that you can be – the police officer can be connected to that crime by our fingerprints being on the car. That car's ever stopped. They're able to then say, oh, this is connected to how this police officer was hurt or harmed. 
So there you go. The answer to why they touch the back That's of the car. That's good to know. I'm going to be more observant the next time I see one of these police stops, either in real life or on television. You'll see it. Not every cop does it. Not every police department tells their officers to do it, but a hell of a lot of them do actually hmm. tell their officers, touch the back of the car I, I before you walk up. I suppose it makes sense. Although... The issue with someone hiding in the trunk, I would think that most trunks these days, to avoid someone being held captive in there, have a situation where there's something where you can release the trunk from the inside. So if someone – if the trunk is closed and someone's in there and is going to come after the cop – I would think they would just pull that lever from the inside. They could right? do that. Yeah. That's I mean, you know, it's not a full full safe program, Fair but it's enough. just something that they do. Gotcha. I heard you earlier talking about the fact that a plate of food yes. has ended up in the refrigerator here at uh, the home station, WABC, right. that has your name on it. And what else does it say? It says the other side of leftovers for Frank Morano. Okay. And today's date. So I was going to update you on the story. I was actually waiting to get more information. Right, okay. But you had asked me, you said, do you know who's behind this awful note that showed up on the refrigerator, what is it now, maybe two weeks ago, that was semi-threatening, yeah, maybe yeah, less yeah, yeah. than two weeks right. ago, saying whoever is eating food out of the refrigerator, uh, stop it. But I think it was more graphic than that. Yeah. I don't remember the exact wording. And so I started to do some research because you said, hey, do you yeah, know who's behind exactly. this? I now know as of yesterday, and I can only guess maybe they're behind this plate of food as well. Wow. The person came to me. They said they do not want to be identified, so I will uh, protect my sources and my information. But this is the person. They gave me very detail by detail uh, of what took place when you, he says, stole his food out of the refrigerator. Uh, So it's a he. Okay. Yes. So it was two guys. You know both of them, but I'm not going to tell you who they are. They asked not to be identified. They said they had gone out to lunch. This is, what, nine days ago, something like that, to a Chinese restaurant. And on the way out, they actually ordered something a little extra. They liked the dumplings at this place. Apparently, the dumplings are spectacular. In a moment, you can tell me whether that's true or not. And so they came back to the uh, radio station and they said oh let's put this in the refrigerator we'll have this for lunch tomorrow the dipping sauce the whole works and so their outrage came the next day when they opened the refrigerator and these dumplings were gone and they came to me because they said they had heard you talking about this or they hadn't heard you but they heard secondhand right, right, that right. you had been talking about this on the air that you had eaten these dumplings and they wanted to know was it frank who had actually taken these dumplings out of the refrigerator and eaten them. And I was able to confirm to them that, yes, it probably was. Well, you should have directed them to the podcast so at least we get the new listenership. Well, so I showed them the note. Yeah, right. oh, well, they can go back and listen, absolutely. Yeah. And I, they maybe they will now. Fair enough. But I showed them the note, which was your excuse of why you were able to eat it. They were just outraged, by the way. Well, did they say anything about why they're not labeling their food? I asked them about that. They said they shouldn't have to label their food. They said labeling in their food is about it being thrown out at the end of the week. They say if it's just going to be in there for 24 hours, like it was, and it would have been in this case if you had not eaten their dumplings, they would have had it the following day, eaten it, and it would have been in the trash can, no problem there. Second, I did not eat the dumplings. I ate the spring rolls. Right. I left the dumplings. So if those dumplings were eaten, they were eaten by someone else. Interesting. Okay, well, that's another part of the story I'll have and, to investigate. And you know what? what happens is... That's what happens when food's not labeled. When food's not labeled, it's up for grabs. Okay, so now let's forward the story to the fact that you have this plate of food in the refrigerator with your name on it. Yesterday, we had Chinese food for lunch here at the radio station, and someone plated you some food with your name on it. Was it just a moment where people thought, 
well, geez, Frank never gets to enjoy lunch here because he's not here at lunchtime. Or is there more something more sinister involved I, in that plate of food? I'm betting that there's something more sinister. So do you think someone's trying to poison you? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, they didn't they didn't put aside anything for poor Tony or Matt Blaze. Well, they also don't eat other people's lunches. You're the only person that's eaten other people's lunches. No, I know I'm that the only one that has admitted to, eating to, lunches, to yeah. taking unlabeled food right. from the refrigerator. <laughs> so now I think what I'm going to do, have you eaten this plate of food? Absolutely not. Okay, so I'm going to uh, see if I can find somebody in the next 24 hours. Or even less, because I need to do that. Well, Who will test this food? Eat anything. Well, no, I'm going to have this food tested. <laughs> uh, oh, I see. Because okay. I want to see if anybody's done anything with this food. If they had, of course, this becomes just an explosive story no, if no someone's done something it. to this food. No doubt that about they've, it. That they're not just angry, but they're trying to get revenge. Also, it, it is not necessarily a prudent strategy when there's a plate of rice, which is the same food that's on the plate, that's out there unlabeled for people to take. Why wouldn't I just take the unlabeled rice? Well, they, I think they thought the food would be gone by the time you got I here. That's see. what I'm guessing. Okay. That's see, why this, they plated this, your this, food. This, this, this plan could only have been concocted by someone that was short-sighted enough to not label their food to begin with. All right. That's well, the situation. I'm going to see if I can find somebody who can test this for me right I away. I imagine I'll be, have no problem doing that. Thank you very and much, And I will no. get back to you to let you know if someone messed with it. Film at 11. Thank you, No. And now you know the rest of the story. Hey, you know whose birthday it is today? George Washington, who, according to historians, is the third greatest president of all time. Where these historians got their historian license, I'll never understand. But there you have it. Uh, We want to wish a happy birthday posthumously to our Our third greatest president, according to that bizarre study of rankings that was released the other day. So happy birthday, George Washington. Also, a number of other political figures uh, celebrating their birthday today, many of whom uh, posthumously. The former senator from Massachusetts, Ted Kennedy. Jalisco, Jalisco, Jalisco. Lieutenant to Novia, Muchacha bonita, la perlas más raja, en todo el isca, es me guadalajara. Ah, Jalisco no te rajes, me sala de la so happy birthday. Uh, Laredo, will you help us out? Will you vote for Barack Obama? Thank you very much. People wonder how Obama won the election. That's how. Singing surrogates like Ted Kennedy. Obviously, he passed away in uh, 2009. Today also would have been Sparky Anderson's birthday, the great baseball manager, one of the greatest of all time. So uh, if it's your birthday today, you are celebrating with some very well-known names, George Washington, Merrill Rosner, Sparky Anderson, and several, several others, including Ted Kennedy. All right, we'll do 15 seconds of fame in a moment. Uh, We didn't have enough time for 15 seconds of fame yesterday because um, my friend Sid Rosenberg walked in. We chatted with him, so we'll make up for it today. If you want to comment for 15 seconds, be my guest. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight.
other side at midnight with Frank Morano. Great Andy B for this terrific song. Oh, by the way, today was also um, today is also Drew Barrymore's birthday. I should have mentioned that as well. And you know, Andy B has this has this uh, song that says talking about aliens and UFOs. One thing I did want to mention before we get out of here, maybe we can follow up more on this tomorrow. Congresswoman Anna Luna, a Republican, I believe, from the state of Florida, she described how she concluded UFOs are of non-human origin based on classified information. And, well, let me play for you what Congresswoman Luna, uh, Anna Polina Luna, had to say. So I got men in black. I know a lot of people are going to be like, that's crazy. But ultimately what happened is being a member of Oversight, we follow up with whistleblowers and we also can conduct our own investigation. So myself, Representative Burchett from Tennessee and Representative Gates uh, were on a small codel to the panhandle because a whistleblower came forward from Eglin Air Force Base pilots to Representative Gates' office saying that the Air Force was essentially covering up UAP activity and we needed to look into it. So we coordinated the meeting. Uh, Pentagon tried to initially cancel the first one. We got it back on the books. I can tell you, based on my investigations, not in a classified setting, that I absolutely believe that there is um, things that are advanced technologies not of human origin and then we conducted the interview with david grush as you saw it was one of the most widely attended congressional hearings in u.s history the information that was brought forward was particularly alarming because you're hearing about people that have potentially been murdered and covering up this information and uh, it was very interesting that's pretty interesting i don't think she's making that up and that's a congresswoman saying essentially she that was her words she got men in black she concluded how UFOs are of non-human origin based on classified information and how men in black and CIA operatives tried to prevent UFO-related briefings occurring. So it's interesting. I'm going to reach out to um, Congresswoman Luna, see if she wants to come on the show to talk about it. But uh, I found those comments really, really interesting. All right. Uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds, 800-848-9222. You want to follow me on uh, Facebook? You can, facebook.com slash Fan. But first... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Raji! Dear Curtis, before your mayoral run, you excoriated talk radio hosts who played music. Since your return to WABC, however, you yourself have been playing extremely loud, annoying music, you hypocrite. Mike. Morning, Frank. $50 in your checking account. Maybe it's time you go down to the stop and shop, get yourself a shopping cart, a good roller, and start walking the neighborhood for bottles and cans. Dress nicely so as not to be mistaken for a homeless guy. E. Frank. 
Yes, a superstar. Uh, Mario Bergoglio, Pope Francis I, and Timothy Cardinal Dolan Noheim celebrating the season of Lent. But when that guy said that St. Cecilia was a whore, they're not talking about prostitution or street walking. They're talking about the woman's understanding of Christ. Rocco. Shake your jerk off. Robert. Hey, Frank, ever see the movie The Island with Scarlett Johansson? I don't think so. It's about cloning. Uh, they were bred to be replacement parts. Interesting. 800-848-9222. Ron. The Legends Diner in Secaucus, New Jersey. The best old-fashioned tin diner adorned with uh, black and white Hollywood photos. The best food, prices, and portions. Legends Diner in Secaucus, New Jersey. Visit us. Please. Cheech. Happy Thursday, everybody. Sid's a moron, Sid's a moron, Sid's a moron, Sid's a moron. <laughs> we have two of them now. How great is that? 800-848-9222. Peter. Yes, hello, Frank. Uh, in some states, all it takes is one sixteenth percent. Tell that to Sydney when he's criticizing black women. John. Oh, boy, we're starting a trend here. All right, we'll end it there. That slams the lid on things for today. You know, sometimes people will write me that I don't leave enough time for 15 seconds of fame. And when I get that, I just think, what are you really missing? Are you really missing another 30 seconds of people saying Sid's a moron? How is your day at all affected by, by that? But I guess it is. All right. Uh, back tomorrow with a little Ask Frank Anything. And i uh, got some other stories that I've been working on uh, bringing to your attention that uh, I think you're going to find really interesting. And, of course, Denunciations, a Friday special. Until then, Frank Moreno, good day.